Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Hope you are doing well, um, and uh, we've got a good show lined up for you uh, tonight into this morning. Uh, Terry White, who is a really terrific musician, is going to join us to talk about his new album, um, uh, Still Got Me. <laughs> So we'll talk about that. And also a little live patio music with Terry White and the Loaded Dice at Out of Space in Berwyn on uh, on uh, Saturday, coming up this Saturday. And we'll tell you all about that as well. Uh, Mark Rodiger is going to join us. Fascinating guy who is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. Ooh. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about UFOs, uh, which I love to talk about. We'll get into that. Uh, fascinating guy. So that's all coming up. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, biggest workplace mistakes uh, and the greatest Yacht Rock songs of all time. you got to love Yacht Rock. It's one of my favorite uh, music genres. It's also one of the most entertaining titled music genres of all time. Yacht Rock. Uh, so we're going to play some a, a little examples of that and uh, and and your summer songs. What are your, some of your favorite summer songs? It's summertime, and uh, so we'll get into uh, to that as well. Uh, we also play back uh, some cl- some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show um, every night on Antenna TV, and uh, at two thirty a.m. every uh, every night we play back some classic Johnny Carson. My favorite, Karnak the Magnificent. We're going to play a little Karnak this morning. From 1984. Karnak's my favorite. I know, uh, Tom, my producer, enjoys Art Fern. I know you enjoy you, you enjoy uh, you enjoy Art Fern. Mm, yes. <laughs> and I love Art Fern, too, but for Karnak, um, ever since I was a kid, every time he would make the entrance and trip on the step on the way to the desk, I would laugh every single time. Knew it was coming, seen it a million times, laughed every time. Uh, I love Johnny Carson, so we'll uh, do that. That's coming up. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. This is the Team Hockberg phone line that you can call us on. And uh, there you go. That's what we will be doing. And also, it's Wednesday, so at 3.30 a.m., Tom will be uh, uh, hosting another edition of Know Your Onion. And uh, that's when uh, we get a couple of contestants on the on the line. And uh, they each play around where Tom will read news headlines, and they have to decide whether it's a real news headline or it's from the satirical newspaper The Onion. Because the news is weird today, nowadays. Sometimes you can't tell whether it's uh, from The Onion or whether it's real. And that's the quiz. And uh, the, you will win. So that's all coming up on the show. 312-981-7200 is the uh, number for the Team Hochberg phone line. Uh, wanted to kick off the show... Uh, t- talking about has anybody experienced an ex- already an excessive amount of fireworks in your in your neighborhood or in your area? Because I have. Um, uh, people start on fire on, on Father's Day. You would have thought it was the Fourth of July. They were blowing off so many fireworks; it was nuts. Um, so I don't I don't really understand. But we, we've already got some stories. Um. From uh, not just in Chicago, but across the across um, the U.S., there is just this insane wave of fireworks exploding all over the place. Uh, I don't know if it's because people want to get outside and they're just going to go outside and just blow stuff up. I, I don't know, 
But have you experienced 312 981 7200? 312 981 7200. Have you experienced an already excessive amount of fireworks going off in your neighborhood? Um, yeah, because on Father's Day, I was sitting in my living room on Father's Day, and it sounded like, you know, there were, there were, there were people out in my back courtyard blowing off fireworks. There were people out in front. Um, it sounded like a, a war zone. And I know that this is not good, you know, for, for veterans who have served and for, for, for a lot of pets who freak out when this happens. And it's bad enough that it happens, you know, all day long and all night long on the 4th of July or leading up to the 4th of July, like from the 2nd to about the 5th. But now it's starting in the middle of June. Um, so are, are you experiencing this as well? 312-981-7200. An excessive amount of fireworks already. And we are not even we're, we're a couple of weeks away from the 4th of July. So, 312-981-7200. There's a story already here. This is from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, already on edge on multiple fronts, many Chicagoans are now having to contend with yet another challenge uh, to their peace of mind, not to mention their sleep, an unrelenting barrage of fireworks. Yet yeah, we're already under stress. There's already a lot of anxiety happening in the world, you know, on many levels. During late night hours, the sound of loud explosions has echoed through many Chicago neighborhoods, resulting in a staggering increase in 911 calls. The city has received more than 7,000 emergency calls for firework disturbances so far this year, compared with only 842 last year during the same time period. That's a 736% increase, according to data provided by the Office of Emergency Management and Communications. So are, are you experiencing this in your area, in your neighborhood? 312-981-7200. Why don't we take a quick break? Hang on, we got people who are calling in. Evidently, this is a, this is a thing that is happening all over the place. I mean, if there's an increase, seven hundred and thirty six percent increase in the use of fireworks at this time period, clearly something's going on. Um, but yeah, it's nuts. And, and you know, I've been I've been hearing it in my neighborhood off and on. But on Father's Day, I it sounded like it was the Fourth of July outside. I mean, has Father's Day become a a, a holiday to, to 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 blow off fireworks and blow stuff up? Now, I've never been a fireworks guy ever. I've always found it annoying, and and you know I hate the Fourth of July. It, it, uh, it's just you know, and I feel bad for for the veterans and for the for the pets who are freaking out by this. And and now everybody is filled with anxiety already, and we have to have this added to to the mix. So three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. That's the Team Hockberg phone line. Are you experiencing an excessive amount of fireworks noise in your neighborhood? It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. So uh, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and um, we're uh, going to talk about the fireworks, the excessive amount of fireworks that have been blowing off in this city and apparently across the country, too. Quick story from CNN. Fourth of July is still uh, well over a week away, but in many cities it's already arrived. From New York to San Francisco, the skies light up every night and early morning for hours with no apparent reason. And now officials have had enough. Firework complaints are soaring, and they come after months of pandemic-induced isolation, followed by weeks of tense protests against police brutality and racism. Why the fireworks are going off so frequently is anybody's guess, and city officials say they don't know where the big ones are coming from. Uh, Conspiracies abound over who's responsible, but it's clear that the incessant fireworks displays are an inconvenient and dangerous phenomenon in an already surreal American moment. So it's all over the place. It's not uh, not just here. Um... 
Tom, your neighborhood, have you been hearing fireworks in your neighborhood? Yeah, uh, pretty pretty regularly, fairly regularly. But it's, just, it's weird because most of it starts at night, and I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. I'm, I'm way gone. But this weekend was particularly bad. Yeah, no, like I said, on, on Father's Day, it was nuts in my neighborhood. Nuts. Uh, the phone lines are jammed, so clearly this is something that's happening all over the place. 312-981-7200 is the phone number of the Team Hochberg phone line. Uh, here's Laura on WGN. Hi, Laura. Hi. I'll keep it brief because I can't wait to hear what everybody else has to say when they call in. Calling from Oak Park. Yeah. It has been going on for six weeks. Many, many M80s, men M100s, which are um, not your normal fireworks. No. Um, we've all been very active on social media here, and shockingly, about half of the population seem to support it. They're like, poo-poo, so what? The kids need to get out. The kids want to do something. They go on from 9 o'clock at night until 1 to 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. And not only the veterans and the post-traumatic stress and the seniors and people with autism and the dogs and the and the cats, but people that the animals that live outside, the yeah. rabbits, the squirrels, and the birds, you know, the, they're they have young, and then the mothers get disoriented. And I walk through the park with my dog, and I find all these dead animals because the mother can't find their way back after the explosion. There is a toxic sulfur in the air, and it disorients. Right. And the, the the mothers scurry so far, they they sometimes don't get reconnected. So that and the environment, and I, I, I know that you're not pro-fireworks, because 10 years ago you took a call from me and we talked about fireworks. So uh, I love you. I can't wait to hear what the other callers okay. have to say. Laura, I, I appreciate it. Bye. All right, so it's happening, and uh, that's, a, that's a report from Oak Park right there. It's happening everywhere, evidently. Um, here is... Norma on WGN. Hi, Norma. Hi, hi. Uh, yes, I'm in Portage Park, not too far from the previous caller, and it, it, it's correct. It's uh, the M80s. It's the booms. It's like the house shakes, uh, and they start after nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And look out! I'm going. Where are they? Well, I mean, whose house are they at? What alley are they at? I mean, I've been told. That's the only where it's at, and it is closer to Oak Park. Uh, well, my par- my parents my parents live in Portage Park as well, and I'm not very far from Portage Park. I live in Old Irving Park, and uh, oh. my parents talk about the fireworks going off all the time in their neighborhood. Yes, and it's been going on for a while. It's not just uh, this weekend. It's been going on for a while, so I'm going, I wonder what it's going to sound like for the 4th of July. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. It's really nuts. Uh, Norma, thank you for the call. Stay safe. All right, thank you. All right, 312-981-7200. Bobby, uh, Bobby D. Bobby, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Nick, you know, I'm uh, 16 floors up and looking south around the corner from the landmarks, and I've been watching fireworks over straight south in the looks like River North. And about three separate times tonight, hours apart, there have been about two or three minutes of air of continuous airbursts of stuff breaking up in the sky. Yeah, I have a direct direct line from my bedroom. One just looking right out the window. Bingo! It's a very good show, but I don't know when it pops up. But a few nights ago, there's been. I look south and southwest, and there are uh, fireworks popping off all over the city to the you know to the southwest and moving southwest and moving west. Looked like Pilsen, best I could figure out. 
And uh, tonight it's just been the one one place in River North that it, 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 I don't know if they're shooting them off the roof or if it's coming from street level, but it comes right up the one set of buildings, and all of a sudden there's all these sky bursts in about two or three minutes. What? And just when you said fireworks earlier this morning, when you said, hey, fireworks, I looked, leaned back and looked, and there were a couple more popping up out of the buildings down there. I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, all right, Bobby, thanks, man. Look, that's been the only thing tonight, so it's quiet tonight. Okay. Well, thanks, Bobby. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we were coming in on the Kennedy to work last night. Um, to the on the, the on the south side of the Kennedy, in the sky, boom! Stuff flying up all over the place. You know, it was a Monday night. What are we? What, what are we doing? What aren't, aren't there more? I, I understand that people are antsy. I'm antsy too. Yeah, of course. I th- I, everybody's, I think, I think we're antsy. But is there something more constructive we can be doing? <laughs> There's a, a lot of more constructive things we can be doing. Well, if, if people are feeling, feeling antsy and feeling anxiety, this only adds to it. I mean, maybe you're feeling better about going outside and blowing off fireworks, but you're making other people feel anxiety. And there's, it's, it's, it's completely unnecessary. Completely. Um, here's uh, Jimmy on WGN. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Nick. Great conversation. Great topic, as always. Uh, yeah, I was uh, on last Friday. Actually, I was in St. Joseph, Michigan, and on the way home that night, literally from that corner of the state all the way through Indiana and then through downtown Chicago, it was nonstop on both sides of the expressway. So I'm talking over three different states yeah. now live up in Cary, uh, which is only a half hour from the Wisconsin border, so it's constant around here, too, but it's nationwide for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a there's a story from CNN that's talking about it. Is, is there's these huge wave of fireworks exploding in cities across the U.S., um, yeah. and it just, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense, and it's, at a, you know, I mean, if people want to get outside, I understand that. Everybody's feeling a little anxious. You want to get out there. You've been cooped up. We've been, you know, under pressure and have, have anxiety now for the for 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 months. But I don't think that yeah. I don't think I don't think the solving of that problem is to go outside and blow stuff up. I, I think that adds to it. Well, it's certainly dangerous, but I just think so many people in their mind know that very few, if any, cities are going to have Fourth of July fireworks this year, and they've just decided they're going to do it on their own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Jimmy. Thanks, man. Okay, man. Okay. Bye-bye. 312 981 7200. That's the phone number on the Team Hochberg phone line. And we're talking about the unnecessary fireworks explosions that have been happening, um, not just across this city, but everywhere for some ridiculous reason. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still a week, over a week away from um, the 4th of July. But people are going outside and blowing off a bunch of fireworks. Here's uh, Danielle on WGN. Hi, Danielle. Hey, Nick. What's up? Hey. How are you doing? <laughs> um, I just think, I mean, this is a little more of like maybe a young person theory because it's on Twitter, but it's all about, honestly, I feel, I know this sounds weird, but there are people, it's like a conspiracy theory about how people are like organizing to like frustrate people at night 
by like depriving them of sleep, which I find like the most disturbing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know a lot of people that are very hardworking that work all night long and they, you know, have to do things during the day for their families. And I like can't get sleep at night. I mean, I'm used to the city because I went to the school. I w- sorry, the school. I went to school in the city. So I'm used to falling asleep with all that noise. But a lot of my friends from the suburbs that are now in the city are losing their mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they just, and I, I just get really upset for when it comes to like, like what you were saying, like Eric, Laura was saying, I forget who, um, about like veterans and then kids with autism and all this stuff where it really affects their schedules. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I don't understand why people don't see that. Oh, I, I just saw someone buy fireworks at Walgreens and it was so weird. Cause she like turns to the lady and she's like, do you also have spray paint? And the lady's just like, what do you need spray paint for? And then, like, the girl kind of freaked out and ran away. And me and the cashier were just like, well, that was weird. You know, I, I can't, I don't exactly know why, but I do, I do know some people that are, like, my friends, that are purely doing it out of, like, anxiety and hatred for the fact that they can't go out and drink. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think that's crazy that that's well, your response to yeah. that. But well, you, can't, you, you can now go out and drink. <laughs> so. I know. Well, Nick, I Nick, I'm on your side with this. One. I'm, I'm not setting off fireworks. Right. I'm at home doing homework right now. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right, Danielle. Thanks. But yeah. Thanks, Nick. All right. Take care. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Uh, there's just been a bunch of uh, fireworks going off. In fact, as I mentioned before, there have been more than seven thousand emergency calls for fireworks disturbances so far this year. That's a 736% increase in this time period last year. And those numbers mirror increases in cities throughout the country, but those in the fireworks industry say they can be traced to the cancellation of organized shows because of the coronavirus pandemic. There have been a surge in complaints about fireworks in New York, Boston, and Hartford. Uh, Residents of other cities, including Los Angeles and Baltimore, have taken to social media to vent their frustration. Um, there's always a jump in people setting off firecrackers and bottle rockets and shells in the Chicago area in the weeks leading up to July 4th, but residents have noticed something a little different this year, and many have grown fatigued of hearing explosions into the wee hours of the morning. Um, here is Sue on WGN. Hi, Sue. Hi. Well, there hasn't been any now for the last two minutes, but it's been going on for two weeks. But I know the party we're going to on the 4th of July, they have huge ones like you would put off at one of the the, the city ones. They'll yeah. go up in the air, and they will be fabulous. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm I guess, not, not not a big fan of fireworks myself, Sue. So, so, you know. Not a, I, I, do, I do like them, but I like them on the 4th. I don't like to keep everybody up. I don't have to get up tomorrow, so it doesn't really bother me, but. Anybody that has a five a.m. call, it really is inconsiderate. It's completely inconsiderate. It's it's, it's com- absolutely and completely yeah. inconsiderate. Okay, Sue, thanks. Okay, bye bye. Right. You know, I mean, I work. Obviously, we work we work nights, Tom. So you know, if people are blowing off fireworks right now. We're we're not hearing them because we're in we're at work. Um, and I got to say, you know, as annoying as it is, um, you know, I live on a main. I mean, I live on a main street. You know, by an expressway. And an L stop. I grew up next to an L stop. The Addison Brown Line L stop was right outside my bedroom window when I grew up. So you're used to that. <laughs> A- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't bother me. But you right. think about the other people that it does bother. People who have to sleep. People like I said. People who are disturbed by it. 
in many ways, mm-hmm. you know, mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in, it's completely inconsiderate. So um, an increase in fireworks uh, going off already. You know, I mean, this usually about a week before the fourth, people start blowing some stuff up. But it's been going on for a long time, and it's it's been really annoying um, and disrespectful. So that's what we're talking about. It's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. Hello. Uh, Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here uh, until 4 o'clock. Terry White, really terrific musician, is going to join us uh, after midnight. And uh, Mark Rodiger, um, who is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, is going to join us a little bit later as well. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the number for the Team Hochberg phone line. And we've been talking about um, the excessive amount of fireworks that have been blowing off uh, for the past few weeks. And it's not just in Chicago. It's all over the country, evidently. Uh, people are just going out and blowing off fireworks for no particular reason. And we wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, evidently, it's happening all over the place because the phone lines are all jammed up right now. Um, and here's Matt on WGN. Hi, Matt. Hey, Nick. How you doing, sir? Okay. Um, I live up in Rockford, work for one of the local hospitals. Um, I'm a vet. I work security, so I'm outside a lot. Yeah. And the fireworks are, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it can be tough. Um, I have a autistic son who uh, actually helps me calm down. So, you know, it's, I mean, some days it's okay, but other days it gets, it gets, it gets rough. Yeah, well, I'm sorry you have to go through this, Matt. I mean, you know, at least there's people there to help you out, right? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm very, very blessed to have a support group around me that has gotten me through a lot of things. So yeah. Does it seem I'm very blessed. Does it, does it seem more this year than in the past? Yes. Yes. Every now and then it, it, burnt, it comes and goes. Yeah. But I think this year has been going on... About three weeks, and then occasionally you've heard the news in Rockford. Yeah, there's the occasional gunshot thrown in there, so you have to listen to say, "Okay, what am I listening to? What am I hearing?" Yeah, and that's never a fun game to play. Yeah, well, man, I'm sorry you have to go through with this. Uh, you know, you get you, you go through this, but I'm glad you have a support group with you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, Matt, take care. All right. All right. Take care, brother. Yeah. Bye. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's a perfect example of why this is completely inappropriate and obnoxious. And uncaring, inconsiderate. Um, and it's it just seems this year it's very excessive. And I understand that people have been, you know, under a lot of stress because of the pandemic and we've been stuck inside. And, uh, you know, I can understand the frustration that people feel that they want to get out and do something. I just don't understand why going out and blowing stuff up or blowing off fireworks and disturbing other people who want to rest or feel better. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Here's Sheila on WGN. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Nick. Hi, Hi guys. Um, I just want to kind of, I've been listening to this kind of all day. I'm out here in the south suburbs, and they were doing it, too, um, quite a bit. I don't like the M80s and whatever, the M100s, and that's what they were doing. They sound like they were shaking the buildings and yeah. what have not. Yep. But, um, I'm, and I'm so sorry about the vets and everybody because the dogs and everything were going on. We're getting the same thing around here. But the cops said, they told us, they said, we don't know if we can figure out where it's coming from. We'll try to stop it. 
but we don't know if we're walking into shooting because some of them out here, they're shooting along with the fireworks. Right, so of course, yeah. That's what's making it worse. Yeah. And and then, um, well, thank God out here, they um, where you guys are at, those young people, they're doing it on purpose. They have uh, tons of money, their allowances or whatever, and that's what they're blowing on the fireworks. They're pissed off because it's canceled. And they're doing it on purpose. They don't care. And the yeah. parents are giving them this money, and they're like, let them blow off steam, get out my hair. Yeah. And that's what's really pissing me off because we don't hear it as much out here because they don't have as much, you know, accessible money. <laughs> if they did, it'd be a lot worse. But up where you guys must be getting it terrible. Well, because- yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not good, Sheila. And, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I think it's bad everywhere, not just in, you know. You know I, mean, I live right in the middle of the city, so... Uh, I can I can imagine it's probably worse elsewhere, you know. You know what I mean? Because I live like in a big apartment building, but there were people out in my in the courtyard in the back because I have a courtyard in the back of the you know right outside my back uh, window. And on Sunday, there were there were people out in the courtyard blowing stuff up, right in my apartment building, right outside my apartment building in the courtyard. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, all right, uh, Sheila, thanks for the call. 312-981-7200. It's Doc on WGN. Hey, Doc. Hey, Nick. Hey, I, I got one partial explanation. Uh, a lot of this, I think, in the last week was Juneteenth. I noticed last Friday night coming into St. Louis, there was all kinds of fireworks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think they should have their own independent uh, Independence Day, separate from the 4th of July. And this is the year where... Everything is going to get pushed. So I think that was some of it for the last week. That's no explanation. I mean, it's like the annual, you know, pyromaniac's dream. And it's like any other crime. You need fear of getting caught, fear of being punished. People have no fear of getting caught. You just pick people up and uh, gave them 30 days and let them sit in jail till 4th of July was over. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not going to, obviously, that's not going to happen, Doc, so. No, oh, no doubt. Yeah. Well, it's like Kansas City. They're illegal in Kansas City. Mm. Every suburb around Kansas City sells fireworks. And then people take them right back into the city and blow them up. Right. But, you know. And there's, there's next to no enforcement. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. All right, man. Okay, Doc. Take care, man. Yep. Yep. 312-981-7200 um, is the phone number for the Team Hochberg phone line. And we're talking about the uh, what seems to be this year especially – an excessive amount of fireworks being blown off uh, a lot. And this is Judy who's calling from uh, California. Hi, Judy. Uh, hi, it's Jeannie. Jeannie, uh, but okay. But that's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I uh, moved out here a couple of years ago, but I'm originally from Chicago and love Chicago radio still. So kudos to you guys. Okay. Anyway, we are having the same issue out here. Uh, summer solstice night was just insane. Like, you saw the same type of fireworks you would see professionals shoot off on the 4th of July. And I'm wondering if those companies who are normally selling for the 4th of July, maybe they need to sell to regular people. I don't know. Because all the 4th of July celebrations are being canceled? I have no idea. Well, that we were talking about that. That might be part of it. Uh, you know, that people are like, well, if we're not going to have, if, if there aren't going to be any official fireworks for the Fourth of July, we're going to make our own. Um, 
you know, and I can't imagine what it's going to be like on the 4th of July. Uh, it's going to be nuts. I mean, you know. Yeah. I know they said there were like 20 different locations with big fireworks being shut off and a lot for the police to handle. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's almost too much right now. Yep, it is. Okay, Judy, thank you. Thank you. All Bye. Right. All right. 312-981-7200 is uh, the number. Here's Linda on WGN. Hi, Linda. Hi, Nick. How are you tonight? All right. Hey, I regard fireworks the same as I do a parade. You've seen one, you've seen them all. (laughs) But uh, my grandbaby, she's not quite two yet, and her brother, he's eight. And they let off those boomers. Yeah. And... She just comes out of her bed screaming, looking for her mom, and he's right behind her. Uh, you know, They're terrified. Uh, it's, that's, that's horrible. For a baby, it is, because they don't know if they're getting blowed up or what, you know, and yep. it's awful. Yep. It's horrible. They, you know, I think the cops should pass out a few tickets here and there and it might quit it. Yeah, well, we'll see. What, it's, hard, it's hard to find the people who are doing it. That's the problem. Get well. Why don't they get their fat hiney out of the car and walk around and look? Well, okay. <laughs> Put the coffee down with the donut and get out of the car. All right, okay, Linda. Come on now. Huh? Come on now. Stop with the stop with the cliches about the police. That's not fair. It's not their fault. Put down the donut and the coffee. Come on. Maybe Chief Wiggum, but uh, you know, it's the yeah. only one that applies to is Chief That's Wiggum all I can from think The of. Simpsons. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. All right, Linda, thanks for the call. Um, Dave is on WGN. Hi, Dave. Hey, Nick. Um, I live on Belmont near the lakefront, and there's a whole cluster of high-rises around here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like a, a week ago, things finally quieted down, and then, like, it's 3 in the morning. Some guy somewhere, it, it had to be an M100, and it, I swear to God, it, it sounded like... Uh, such a thud. I, I leaped up from my mattress. Yeah. I thought it was lightning hitting uh, like an electric power line. It was so intense. Yeah. I mean, stuff just ricochets off the buildings, buildings, and it, it's just super high concentrated. But, yeah. um, I, you know, I think it's just starting earlier this year. To me, it's, it's starting earlier, not necessarily more or less. It, it just sounds like. Fourth of July is, is a day away. That's that's the way it sounds. But um, I, I'm wondering when the police get a call for this, is it like an emergency call? Do they? Yeah, they. they no, they, yeah, it's an emergency call. There have been there have been maybe that's because there has been such a barrage of sirens up and down Belmont Avenue for the past week. People cannot even sleep because of the sirens. Yeah. And I got to be honest with you, I would prefer fireworks over sirens. <laughs> I yeah. hate to tell you that, but the sirens are driving people crazy. Yeah. Okay, Dave, thanks. Take care. All right. The The sirens are the result of the fireworks, Dave. <laughs> That's what's going on. All right. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, coming up here. If you want to jump in, if you got some fireworks issues uh, in your area, 312-981-7200. White Snake. Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Coming up after midnight, Terry White is going to join us to talk about the new album, uh, Still Got Me. And uh, there you go. Uh, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, 
700% jump in uh, phone calls, emergency complaints about fireworks in uh, the city of Chicago. And it seems to be not just uh, Chicago. It seems to be sort of nationwide that um, there's an excessive amount of fireworks being blown off. And uh, we wanted to uh, see what was happening in your area. Here's Squat on WGN. Go ahead, Squat. Hey, nice talk to you, Nick. Um, I might be wrong in this, but did you say somehow the FBI is getting involved? In- I did not say the FBI was getting involved. Okay, never mind then. Um, I'm in Ottawa, and nothing's really going on here. Um, but I but I sleep during the day. Well, I sleep during the day, so I work night shifts. Now hear pretty much what's going on here. Doesn't doesn't sound bad at all, but. Uh, I wonder if this is some somehow gang related as to confuse the cops. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. Yeah, well, everybody's got a theory, Squat. It's just that it's really loud and really annoying and really inconsiderate, uh, especially for those who will be disturbed by it. Like we're talking about, you know, little kids and people with uh, post stress disorder. You know, um, it's not it's not uh, not good. So, uh, Squat, thanks for the call. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Here's uh, Leslie on WGNI. Leslie. Hey, Nick. Um, I'm calling from Ohio, um, and specifically I live in uh, Columbus. Okay. And I have a theory of why we have fireworks going off uh, basically around the clock. It's because everyone is excited about the renaming to Flavortown. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's what your theory is. That's my theory. I'm standing behind it. All right. Thanks, Leslie. <laughs> I think they'd probably celebrate with a barbecue if that were the uh, Yeah, case. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, for people who might not know, there was a ridiculous uh, petition that was out because they want to rename Columbus and they want to rename it uh, Flavortown because Guy Fieri is from Columbus. And he says Flavortown. And he's the mayor of Flavortown. Isn't he the mayor of Flavortown? Uh, who voted for him? <laughs> Did everybody everybody in Columbus vote for him uh, as mayor of Flavortown? So. <laughs> uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Kim is on WGN. Hi, Kim. Hi there. Thank Hi. you. Um, I am calling from the south side, and the fireworks here started around Memorial Day, which is very odd because it, I've never heard them around Memorial Day before. It's usually a week or so before the 4th. Right. And at first I thought, I didn't know what to think, but they've been getting progressively worse. I thought it was because of Juneteenth, um, then because that went over the whole weekend and people celebrate that. And then... I'm glad one of your callers mentioned the solstice. I forgot about that, too. Mm -hmm. But the trick is, and this has been an education for me, because I know about M80s, I know about cherry bombs, but the, the power of these fireworks is just boggling my mind. Yeah. So hearing that it's across the country makes me realize that I'm not crazy and that I'm not just, imagining something because there are more fireworks here some brilliant wonderful neighbor was shooting fireworks after one o'clock this morning and i i work from home some people are shooting them during the day and they're shooting them at night 
and there, you know, there was no relief. Again, tonight, it's now it's relatively quiet, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah. I also don't call the police only because there's so many everywhere, and I think so someone shoots their fireworks for, what, five or ten minutes, by the time the police come, they're done or they're gone. Yeah. And I don't want to waste their time. I don't. You know, I re- they have more important things to do, and and for them it must be challenging too. Because how can you tell whether it's fireworks or a gun? Right. Um, and the last thing here, there is a a home for veterans that's right around the corner for me. Oh man! And every year I just wonder, like people, come on, how can you do that? Yeah. Just how can you do that, knowing that you have veterans who are living a couple of doors down for you from you or around the corner? Yeah. But, hey, it happens. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it happens. Yeah. So um, thanks for saving okay. my sanity. All right, Kim. Take care. All right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Now, you live in Uptown. I do. I do. I do. Um, and I would imagine it's pretty prevalent in, uh, in that area. Yeah. I, and, I mean, the issue is is that I'm asleep during the day. Yeah. And I have noticed a couple times, you know, because I leave in the – in relatively not early evening, but I leave in the evening. I'm usually walking in my car around eight o'clock. Yeah, and I've noticed it, and I did think to myself, "Huh, that's weird." But get like uh, Kim said, hearing all these people saying, "No, you're not crazy." It is out of it is out of the ordinary. There is a huge uptick of it. it has really made me realize, you know, where it's at with the whole thing. And uh, I guess I count myself lucky that I don't have to be trying to sleep right now. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. And trust I me, mean, as you well know, we're the king of trying to sleep through the disturbances. We're the kings of that. Yeah. You know, I had, they were doing masonry work on my building all for the last two weeks. Uh, as always. You, get, you don't sleep through mason, masonry no. work. No. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's Javi on WGNA. Javi. Are you there? Hey guys, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, what's going on, guys? All right, what's up? what's up? Uh, yeah, first of all, um, about this fireworks issue. Well, first of all, I want to say something. I'm sitting here playing um, MLB The Show on PS4, listening to you guys, having a great time, so I'm not missing baseball that much, But because um, that game is great. And secondly, on the fireworks issue is that, um, you know, I have two young boys, uh, five and one years old, and I'm separated from their mother, you know, so I have the boys every couple of days. And there's always fireworks going off here. But the other night, after they were shooting off fireworks, and this is in Aurora, I heard six gunshots. And they were clearly gunshots. They were a couple buildings down from my apartment. And, you know, my son asked me, Daddy, was that fireworks? And I, I told him, no, those were gunshots. And to me, that's hitting a little too close to home. And uh, I'll see what you guys think about that. And you guys have a great show. And All right. Have a good night. Take care. Be safe. Yeah, that's not a question you want to get from your kid. That's not a question you want from your kid. Of course not. No. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Right around this time every year, it gets a little nutty. They start blowing off. We're about a week away. What are we, a week away from 4th of July? It's uh, like we, 10 days or something? Yeah. So 4th of July is not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. All right. So... I'm I'm guessing by the time we get to Wednesday of next week, 
I mean, that's normally when it starts going crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm at least it's what usually, I'm used it's to. It's usually a little but around a little less than a week before the fourth. Right. That's when it starts to to go a little bit nutty, and it builds and builds and builds and builds until the fourth. And then it continues like on the fifth. Yeah, it'll go for at least I'd say two two days. Oh yeah, no, I mean my birth, my birthday is July sixth, and I've heard right. I've heard fi- I've heard fireworks blowing off on my birthday. Yeah. And that's two days after the fourth. So, um, yeah, I just don't I don't know I just I don't get it I never I never understood fireworks you know not even when I was you know <laughs> uh, not even when I was a kid it, it was never yeah. I've always had a, a fearful respect. Of them, I, li- I I I'll say this: I do like fireworks, but I like them in a controlled environment. You know, like a Navy Pier, or Navy something. Pier, yeah. sure. Or growing up in Crystal Lake, that was some of my favorite summer memories. Yeah, sitting on the beach. There's professionals out on a boat in the right. middle of the lake. Everybody, even if they live around the lake, they they might be in their boats, but they have to stay a certain distance back. Of course, you know, and you watch the show, and when the show is over, the show is over. That's it. There's no more fireworks. Maybe sparklers, little firecrackers, things that are not a huge nuisance. Yeah. But when the show the show begins, it happens, and then it's over. Yeah. And so, I I understand that young you know young kids like the idea of fireworks. We I've driven through Indiana before and been with kids who are like, hey, can we stop at this fireworks place? It's legal here. We can buy some bottle rockets or something. Yeah. I don't know. I've just never had that kind of pyro streak. I used to like snakes. Oh, the the big tar snakes or whatever they call them. The snakes, the little yeah. You light them, you and light they, them, and they pff, and the ash looks like a snake. I used to like that when I was a kid. That's about as far as I went. <laughs> was I would you know light up some snakes. That was it. Well, anyway, I I hope everybody can get through this, and I feel bad for for the babies and the kids and the and the animals and the vets um, out there. Um. So just. Keep that in mind. If you've got, if you're a fireworks person, keep those people in mind. Don't, don't, don't be inconsiderate. That's all. Okay, uh, let's break here. We got the news coming up, and then Terry White is going to join us to talk about the new album. Still got me right here on 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here, 18 stories of a beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here till 4 o'clock. Uh, Mark Rodiger is going to join us. He's the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. We're going to talk a little bit about UFOs. Um, we're going to talk about um, messing up at your job pretty bad and uh, the greatest yacht rock songs of all time and your favorite summer songs. And uh, we've got uh, some classic Johnny Carson that we're going to play back. We play back some great Johnny Carson uh, bits every um, every morning at 2.30. And we're going to go with Karnak the Magnificent from 1980, circa 1984. Yes. So uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number for the Team Hochberg phone line. And uh, let's see. That was uh, Terry White. That song you just heard was from uh, the new album, Still Got Me. That's the title track. 
And uh, Terry is joining us to talk about the new album. Terry, how are you? I'm doing real good, Nick. How are you? All right. How you been? Good? Everything's been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, under the circumstances, uh, you know, uh, uh, sheltered in place here for months now. And it's a good thing my wife hasn't uh, gotten t- too tired of it yet. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell, 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 tell everybody about yourself, uh, where you're from and, and all that cool stuff. And when did you start uh, being a musician? Um, well, I'm from Oak Park. That's where I grew up. And uh, Oak Park, Illinois, just outside West Side of Chicago. Yep. And um, I started probably uh, about, you know, in, in uh, junior high, seventh grade or something, I think. My brother uh, actually started playing guitar. My dad was a musician, so we had all kinds of music uh, instruments in the house. He played piano, but he had a he had, like, he had this closet in his bedroom, and, and, and it was like the old Ray Rayner closet, you know. <laughs> He'd go in there, and he could come out with it. He had a trumpet in there, a banjo, a guitar, and uh, a saxophone. He had just all kinds of instruments inside that, so... He'd go in there as a little kid, start noodling around with stuff, and, uh, you know, we just picked it up, you know, by hanging out with my dad, really. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. What, yeah. Was, the, what was the first instrument you played? Uh, piano. I uh, took some piano lessons uh, probably in fourth or fifth grade, and, again, noodled around with it in the house because we had a very small house, and the piano took up most of the living room, you yeah. know. And uh, so you, 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 there'd be something to do. You didn't have internet in those days. You, know, you didn't have anything. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There was like there was like two stations on television and the piano. Yeah, that was it. And that was it. Uh, yeah. You said you, you mentioned you had a brother. You got a big. Was it a big family? Yeah, yeah. There was. There's nine of us. Oh, so I'm number. Yeah, I'm I'm four of nine. And uh, out of us, uh, me, uh, four of us, I think, are you know some semi musicians. I'm the only one that plays it uh, full time now. But my older brother John plays a lot of piano still, and uh, everybody else kind of let it go by the wayside. But uh, everybody loves music. Yeah, music so. was in your so music was in your in your house growing up all over the place. Then yeah, absolutely. My dad was huge music. He played and he listened to all kinds of music, and he. You know, he went from classical, you know, uh, you know, to Hank Williams and everything in between. Yeah, so he was real open to everything. Well, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very, very cool. By the way, one of your friends is on the line, Terry. Oh, really? Yeah, Frank Guinness. <laughs> Frank. Oh, <laughs> yes, Frank. Uh, hey, Terry, how you doing? You sounded great. Hey, thanks, Frank. Good to hear you. Hey. It's great to be on WGN Radio. Holy cow. Hey, why don't you tell the story about when Country Dick made you wear two shirts? <laughs> uh, Kevin, I don't know if that was me. That might have been you, by the way. Uh, Frank Guinness is, is, a, is, a, is the name of uh, Kevin James. That's his alias. Oh, okay. And Kevin's been on the show with us before with uh, uh, Steve and Johnny when yeah. the uh, Yellow Hammers were in the, in the house. So Yeah. Uh, he knows the he knows the routine. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Frank. <laughs> hey. Well, it was a pleasure. But serious, Terry's been all over America. He should really tell you his touring stories. Keep up the good work, Terry. I'm listening right. to you. Take God care. Bless. Take care, buddy. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. All right. Uh, so, what do you like touring, Terry? Uh, well, I haven't done it in quite a while. You know, now it's just uh, we. The only time I tour is when I go up to Green Lake, Wisconsin, and play with my buddy Tom Neese up there, uh, or or different suburbs right here. But back in the day, um, you know, from eighty five to ninety 
two or something. We toured a lot, and uh, I loved it at times and hated it at times. It was not. Uh, we weren't staying in five star hotels. Okay, yeah, well, I, yeah, I can understand. I can understand yeah. that. But so part of it, be, be, you, but there were times when you loved it and times when you hated it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and, and it was a lot of fun because we were young. You're with your buddies. Uh, you're you're going from town to town. That's your job, you know. But after a while, you know, it, 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 it's it's hard work because you're either driving or playing, uh, and you know, you're doing a lot of you're having a lot of fun after you're done playing. So you're never, you know, you you could be a little bit cloudy every day. Yeah, you know? and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it was great. It was a lot of fun. You saw the country. Uh, met a ton of good people. And uh, got to play music for a little. It was great. Are there certain places that were that were most memorable for for being on the road, like uh, venues or cities? Well, uh, you know, yeah, there are some that stick out. There's some I forget, frankly. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, we played a lot. And you know, we started. We we were in Southern Illinois. We we went to school down in Carbondale, Illinois. And that's where we kind of got started. So we had a lot of fun down in that town. And then all the college towns from, you know, Champaign and, you know, Eastern, Southern, Northern, um, is covered Illinois, Bloomington, uh, Indiana was a great town. But then we had a lot of fun. You know, we played the, the CBGBs in New York was great. We played out in the West Coast at uh, Whiskey at Gogo was great. Club Lingerie out there was, was maybe my favorite club we've ever played. Yeah. Um, and Wait, those, a lot those, of places those, in St. Louis. Those are some legendary places. Yeah. Yeah, and we, uh, we, you know, back in those days, you know, you could you could book those places if you're out of the road enough. Um, you know, you could get into them. We had a we had a manager and an agent that booked us in some pretty good shows yeah. over the years. So it was like, yeah, never Great. been to, never been to the whiskey. Was it? I, I did go to CBGB's a, a, a few times. I loved that place. Yeah, we played there with the Smashing Pumpkins, and, and the problem with that show is that Smashing Pumpkins were just breaking. They were really getting big. They had to be nineteen, I don't know, ninety or ninety one or something. Yeah, and we played after them. Oh, which was was bad because the place was packed, and then you know we had about one third the crowd when they were done. You yeah, know? yeah. All right, <laughs> but one third the crowd. It's still CBG is not a very big bar, so it's still no, pretty full. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, well, that was a great place. I, I'm I'm yeah, sad yeah. I'm sad that it's closed. I really am. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. Uh, Terry, hang on, okay. Yeah. Terry White is with us. He's a musician. Uh, his new album is uh, Still Got Me. We'll talk about that. Plus, there's um, a gig that he's going to be doing on Saturday that we'll tell you about as well. Uh, it'd be nice to get outside and listen to some music. All right. Uh, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we'll return. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio. We're here until uh, 4, and uh, and then uh, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, and get some uh, early morning news from them. And then uh, the great Bob Surratt is your morning drive, as it is every weekday uh, here on 720 WGN. That music you just heard is from uh, our guest, Terry White. He's a musician. Um, his new album is called Still Got Me. And uh, Terry, tell me a little bit about uh, that song that we just uh, heard a little of. Oh, uh, that is uh, uh, Everything's in Motion. Well, I, you know, it, 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 pop rock, I was I actually in another band called The Yellow Hammers, too. And uh, we happened to be making a record about the same time, and I was writing this song. 
And uh, well, we've written a lot of songs, and, and that song's very pop-oriented, the Yellowhammers record. This one is, as you get to know it, is a little bit more eclectic. It's got some pop rock and some uh, kind of uh, hillbilly music on it, as well as uh, you know, a ballad or two. It's it, it's eclectic in that in that regard. Yeah. And so I wanted something. I wanted to get a good song to lead off the record. So I was writing this, and 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 the guys that are in the Yellowhammers were there when I was doing it. So they started playing it with me, and, and they said, hey, let's make that a yellow record. No, I need this one for the other record, guys. <laughs> so it is, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it, the story of it, I was uh, uh, on, the, on, the, on the green line, and I saw a, a couple kissing on the, uh, uh, at the Ashland Station. If you're on the green line, you go under the Ashland Station. And I just uh, kind of made up a story about them. It looked like I'm a, a, a forlorn kiss, uh, and made me think about uh, kind of a life in general and, you know, that these things come and go and everything's moving. The train's moving, their lives are moving, my life's moving, you know. Uh, that, I don't know, have much more to say about it, but, huh? that, but that's, uh, that's, that's writing music for me, you know. Yeah. Now, you, do you get inspired all the time, uh, Terry? Yeah, you know, uh, yes and no. Sometimes there's, there's no inspiration, um, but when it comes to you, you know, you just... I used to carry a, a little notebook and a pen around, but now with a cell phone, I you can always write notes on your cell phone, so it's great. So I've I've always taken notes, and if something's come up, uh, yeah, I can write a song right in my head at the time. Or if I'm writing something, I got music, I might go look at the notes and find a, a, a phrase in there that'll work for me, you know. And, but inspiration comes, you never know, and when when it's going to come, and you, when it does come, you know, you got to jump on it because yeah. otherwise it'll fade, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the latest album is called Still Got Me, and the album release uh, has been moved back to a week from today. Yeah, because of the manufacturing got backed up due to the COVID related yeah. delay issues. Yeah, yeah. So they had to uh, when when I, when I put it out, uh, they gave me a date, and then uh, they they called me two days ago and said, "Hey, it's going to be a little bit late. We're packed up." So that's life in the shelter in place. You know? Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, you, you you looking forward to playing a little music outside? Yeah, you know, it's funny as you ask, because I haven't missed it that much. I used to play so much that the break has been nice, you know? Yeah. But um, I'm really excited to get back when it happens. I know that tonight there was a soft opening at Fitzgerald's. Fitzgerald's one of the bars I play quite a bit yeah. in Berwyn over on Roosevelt Road. Yeah. And it just changed hands. It went from Bill Fitzgerald had owned it for 40 years. And he just sold it. And uh, right before the shutdown, a, a gentleman by the name of Will Duncan bought it. And he's a great guy. And so, it, I, I really, honestly, within six days of him buying it, everything got shut down. Mm. So tonight was the first night he kind of had a soft opening. I missed it because I was going to be on your show. But that, that was just going on. And I, I really wanted to get back there. Throw the friendly tap on the wire. The three places we play, that there's a whole community out here in Berwyn. Uh, on Roosevelt Road that has uh, a great music vibe out there. So a lot of those guys are there right now, a lot of my local musician friends. Yeah. So this is going to be at Out of Space in Berwyn. Yeah, Out of Space is coming up on, uh, this will be the first time I'm playing out in a while, yeah. At uh, Berwyn, that's in South Berwyn, Out of Space is um, is a really cool venue. Uh, Aaron Mitchell uh, is an artist. And he created this place really for artists to have classes and do art group sessions and stuff. And he's also a musician, so he built a stage and a sound system. 
and he has an outdoor patio. The bar has like a garage doors that open, so you can look out onto the patio. So it is, uh, it's the perfect venue for the conditions we're in. Because you can kind of sit outside, half inside, half outside, and play. It's got a nice sound system, and uh, look forward to playing. I'll actually have a full band for the first time in a long time since you know early March. Yeah, and uh, and uh, this is a, your the band is the Loaded Dice, right? The Loaded Dice. Now that is a amalgamation of all my friends. I took the name because, um, you know, I feel like I'm cheating when I'm playing with these guys. Some of the musicians I play with are just fantastic players. You know, Anna Davis, Mike Craniac, Paul Bivens, uh, Chris Neville, and Rob Pierce, and Kevin James. And so um, I feel like I'm cheating. You know, I, you know, you're a songwriter with these great musicians. They make you sound good. So I feel like I'm throwing loaded dice, basically. Oh, and, I see what uh, you're saying, yeah. <laughs> So it's not like, uh, and anybody can be in this band. Uh, you know, this and then and that record. There's uh, Tim Bennett uh, and John Rice plays a lot. John Rice is a fantastic string player. He's all over the record. Um, he plays banjo and mandolin, uh, fiddle, all kinds of things. So yeah, yep. That's that's the name of this group is the Loaded Dice. So it's uh, live patio music with uh, Terry White and the Loaded Dice, and it's uh, yeah. this Saturday, the twenty seventh. Out of space in Berwyn from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. That's a nice long yep. stretch right there. Yeah, and we'll have some breaks in there. So, uh, uh, you know, you, you hope the weather's nice because uh, I like those hours. The older I get, you know, 4 to 7 is like perfect for me, you know. <laughs> Home in bed by 9. You know? Right. It's supposed to be pretty warm this weekend, I will say that. Uh, yeah. Well, then you'll have to do some more drinking to uh, keep the temperature down, keep the body temperature low. <laughs> And hopefully there's not too much fireworks, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's what we were talking about earlier. I know, I was listening. Yeah. They're all over the place. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we but, got we got a ton of phone calls from people all over the place, not just in the area, but across the country, we're talking about how the fireworks have been really crazy this year. And just as we're talking, right outside, I'm in, a, I'm in Oak Park right now, just outside my window. I just heard another one go off. They're going off all the time. <laughs> That's nuts. So, it's really nuts. It's, it's almost twelve thirty at night. I mean, ah, jeez. Hey, so, so Nick, I'm a fan of the show. I listen to you almost every night. Oh, you know, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I, I go to bed probably about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, really early, and then I wake up right about the time you're on there. So I listen to you for an hour every night. It seems now. And, and recently, you, I didn't know this, but there's a thing called the the, the Nick D Burger. It, you were talking about. It, you were talking it, about it, the air maybe a week ago. Yeah, it's it doesn't exist anymore. But that sounded delicious, and I don't know if I could, my body can handle it anymore. It was a deep-fried hamburger. Yeah, uh, that sounded fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a monster. It was an absolute monster. It's uh, this guy Gus who used to run a place called Wiener and Still Champion, uh-huh. uh, and that was out in Evanston. Um, you know, he was a friend of the show, and I had him on several times, and I've been to Wiener Still Champion a bunch of times. So he decided he was going to name a burger after me, and it was a, it was a heart attack on a bun, man. What do you suppose the calories were? Oh, I don't even want to. I don't even want to think about it. I really don't even want to think about it. I mean, the fact that it was a deep fried cheeseburger is enough right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, you get a hard for thinking about it, but you know, when you're young, you can handle it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Is like Gus. Gus. Gus is a great guy, and uh, and I used to love going to Wiener and Still Champion. I wish it was still open. He was a maniac when it came to the fryer. He would fry anything. I'm like, just, <laughs> he would just—he was—he was—he his favorite thing in 
the restaurant was the fryer. He would deep fry anything. Okay, yeah, that's well. That that became a thing for deep frying turkeys and such. So yeah. that uh, he went, but had the curve. What year was that? That jeez, this was a mid two thousands. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not that long ago. Not that long. No, ago. it wasn't that long. It wasn't uh, that long ago. It was the mid two thousand, early two thousand, mid two thousand, something like that. So uh, yeah. Uh, hey uh, Terry, do you do you enjoy the process of recording? And uh, what do you, do you prefer, playing out or recording? Uh, you know, it's a combination. I'd say probably the recording because I'm more of a songwriter than anything else, and so the creating of the song and putting it on tape is great. So like that record, I finally had enough gear I could record on my own. And I, and my friend Rob Pierce has a recording studio in his garage and we both donated all of our gear to it. So we made it up there. So, I, you know, you could, you could do it at, le- at your leisure and uh, just having them come to life is fantastic. But then, you know, going out and playing, there's that you get that immediate response from people and listen, all musicians, we're all kind of show offs, you know, so you like getting in front of people and having them, enjoy your music there's nothing better than watch somebody dance to a song you're on you know yeah so uh it's i love them both but i think the writing and recording is my favorite part yeah yeah okay terry hold on okay yeah sure. all right uh terry terry white is with us and the new record is called still got me we'll talk about that and more uh 312-981-7200 is the phone number for the team hockbird phone line here on wgn and we'll talk more with uh terry white coming up right here on 720 wgn I love my wife. I love All right. <laughs> it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN live in the Skyline studio. We're here till 4 o'clock. 312-981-7200 is the phone number on the uh, Team Hawkbird phone line. Um, we're going to have a round of uh, Know Your Onion later on at 3.30. Uh, and if you know your onion and you can tell the difference between a real news headline and uh, a headline from the satirical newspaper, The Onion, you can win. Uh, and we're talking with uh, Terry White on uh, WGN. Hey, Terry, that sounds like a funny song. <laughs> yeah, finally bought a house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did that one come from? <laughs> uh, so, we, actually, that is the Modern Day Saints, which is the band I was in back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And... Um, we originally quartered that in Los Angeles, um, and then we didn't do anything with it. So it was, it was kind of our, our hit when we were out there. Um, and then we, we decided, uh, our, our, we had our 35th anniversary this year, we decided to re-record it, which we did. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is that uh, when we recorded it out in Los Angeles, the guys that were producing us were also producing, you know, they had, they had other clients they were producing, and one of which was Billy Preston. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they, we decided we need an organ on the song. So they said, "Hey, Billy will do it." And I'm like, "You mean Billy?" I knew they were working with Billy Preston. I said, "You mean Billy Preston?" They're like, "Yeah, Billy will do it." So sure enough, next day we go back to the studio. Billy Preston comes in, and you know, you're in you know, now you're in the presence of a god. Oh you know? yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. So. You know, we sit down, I sit down at the organ with him, and I'm like, I want me to go through the chords, I can show you the song, and he goes, ah, 
I don't know, is it, is it rock and roll? I said, yeah, I think I got it. So we just played the song, and he and he, he took one take. He said, okay, play it again, did another take, and that was it. He was in and out. It was uh... So anyway, we, we took that track from 1991, I think that was, and we isolated it, and we saved it and put it on this new recording. So that's that's him playing organ oh, on that new recording. Wow, yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's really, really great. Yeah. So cool. Um, and uh, this is these all these cuts are they all from Still Got Me? Well, uh, that last one was a single that the Monday Saints put out in October, uh, just last October. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, the other songs are all on Still Got Me. Yeah, that's a that's the brand new disc. Uh, again, out next uh, Tuesday. Next Tuesday. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, someone on the line. It's Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, how you doing? All right. What's up? Uh, you know, I was just listening to uh, that. You know, um, uh, he had mentioned that. Um, you know, when you, when the song comes to you, and 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 it comes from, uh, I believe, from the universe, you have to grab it. And you have, and it, and, and it struck me when you said that because that is, as, as a songwriter myself, it, it is true. It, it's like this, these songs always exist, and 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 they're given to you, and and you have to grab them at that moment. You have to have some way of just of getting them, you know, and uh, so I, I connected to that when, when, when he said that, man, and I think it's cool. I like hearing the stories, you know? Yeah. Okay, Matt, thanks for listening. Thanks for the call, buddy. All right, thanks, man. There you go. Another fellow songwriter, Terry. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. Um, He's right. That, 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 that's exactly the way it is. You know, there are gifts, you know? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so uh, Terry, how long you been? how long you been doing this? How long you been... Uh, a professional musician uh i think you know it depends on when you st- when you start counting and i think i paid my first gig in high school so that would have been oh. about 1977 or 76 or something like that but as a professional like i did it solely for a living from 85 to 92 mm-hmm. and then since then i've been still playing but you know, you always have to do something else to actually pay your bills. Sure, unless unless you're you two or the Rolling Stones. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's that is the truth. That's absolutely the truth. Um, so, what are some of your favorite places to play around here in the, the Chicagoland or Illinois area? Uh, okay, so there's a ton of great places here in Chicago. You know, um, I mentioned Fitzgerald's already, and I mentioned that whole. Roosevelt Road, The Wire, and Friendly Tap. Yeah. But outside of that, you know, I mean, I played Martyrs a number of times. I love that. Shubas is great. Uh, the Hideout has been great. Um, uh, the Metro, we played a lot of shows at the Metro. And uh, I remember last time I was on the show, we talked about the uh, show we did there. That had to be like 88 or something. We played with Jane's Addiction. And I think you said you thought you might have been at that show. I, it was like around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, Day before, day after, and uh, that was yep. when they were really smoking hot. Yeah. They, they were coming up. I was at that. I was definitely at that show, and I remember because I came straight from work because I worked at the Jewel on Southport and Addison. <laughs> so I came straight. I had worked that day, and I came straight from work uh, to to see the to see the show with a couple of buddies of mine. And yeah, Jane's Addiction at that time, nineteen eighty eight. I mean, they had just blown up. Uh, yeah. They were. Here. What, who were some of the other bands that you've played with that you've opened up for or that you've uh, toured with or anything like that? You had, yeah, you had to you had to follow the Smashing Pumpkins, which, uh, yeah, not, that was not an easy thing. Yeah, um, let's see. So you know, over the years, there's been like I remember we did one, we did a couple of shows in St. Louis. We played with the Del Fuegos. We played with uh, 
You know, I'll tell you what, some of the bands that just around this town, uh, one of my favorites that I've played with was the Waco Brothers. Uh, oh, yeah, those guys are great. Those guys yeah. are great. And they're phenomenal, and they're, and they're, and they're great guys. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we played with, uh, we played with kids. We, I, told you, I think I told you this story before. We played with Joe Walsh when we were in, we played at a college in Mississippi. And uh, <laughs> when we... <laughs> And Joe just happened to be a guy that he used to visit this town and used to sit in with bands. So he had called the college promoter and said, hey, who's the local band? Or who's the band that's playing in your concert tonight? And it was us. And so he said, well, can I do a set with them? Wow. So we got to play with him. You know, uh, we played, you know, I remember out in L.A. Sometimes they'd have, we were a very popular band out there, kind of a local, we were considered a local band. And so anytime, like, there'd be a new band that would get signed, that didn't have any following out there, they'd want to get in front of a crowd. So, like, Matthew Sweet opened up for us on his first tour. You know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, over the years, I can't even remember half the stuff we did, but it was, you know, Frank Innocent called in and mentioned the Beat Farmers. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did a number of shows with them. Uh, You know, we didn't tour with Tom Petty or anything like that, unfortunately, but we had our brushes with fame. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's very, very cool. Uh, and and uh, Terry, you said you're always looking around and writing. Do you do you try to write every day? Uh, no, you know I I, I don't. I, I, it'd be good if I had more discipline, I guess. But um, and now I just kind of let it come to me. There, there, there's times when I when I I'll sit down and say, yeah, I feel like writing today, right? Yeah. And sometimes that sometimes that'll work. You know, I can get I can get you know it's it's a craft that I've been doing for so long. I have I know how to do it. Um, and, but usually it seems to come in bunches. Like there'll be a time where, you know, for maybe two months straight that things are just coming to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's probably like, uh, it could be like an athlete that when they get on a hot streak, you know, a, a baseball player might go on a hitting streak for three weeks where he's just, he, he, he sees the ball really well. It's the same thing. I think with music, you know, you all of a sudden you, you can feel it and everything that comes to you is a song. And melodies come easy, and uh, so I've learned at this at this point in my life to, to to let it come and don't fight it. And when it's not there, don't force it. You know, read a book, watch a movie, do yeah. something else. You know, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So, so uh, how long did it take you to put together? Still got me. Uh, good question. You know, it, it, it was it was years because. Um. Like I said, I record with the Yellow Hammers, and I, and I play live with Cannonballs. I play with the Fitzgeralds once a month, and I play with another band called the Zimmerman, which is a Bob Dylan cover band, which is a ton of fun. You know, they're yeah. a great catalog. Yeah. And so uh, you get busy, and I start, so I'd, I'd always start recording songs and have them build up. And after that, and after this probably took the earliest song I wrote on that record, it was probably, you know, six years ago. Wow. So it just it just took time for it to come together, and at the same time, recording a yellow we got a yellow hammer record that's coming out probably next year that was written kind of at the same time, and that probably took you know four years. Mm. So it's just you know you're not uh, if I had nothing but time and, and money, you know I'd go to a studio and hook it out for two months and, and next, nail everything down. But you know you have your life, you have your uh, I have my wife and my family life and everything else, and I, I let it come to me. I take it easy and. It's so enjoyable to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think you've earned it, Terry. <laughs> you know? I don't know about that, but I'll take it. You know? <laughs>
<laughs> so uh, the uh, the show on Saturday is at Out of Space in uh, in in Berwyn, and that's mm-hmm. at sixty eight uh, sixty eight forty thirty second Street in Berwyn, Illinois. Right. And it's from uh, four to seven. And uh, you got you 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 have you been able to rehearse at all or no? Good question again. No, not really. Um, so it's we're going to. I'll have a Mike and Mike uh, Craniac and Paul Bivens. I play with regularly, and that's that's the bass player and the drummer. And uh, so they we played all these we played these songs over and over again for years. So yeah. uh, it shouldn't. You, know, you hope you come together. We could be a little bit rusty. We have Chris Neville on keyboards that night. Uh, he doesn't play with us quite as often, but he's. Chris Neville is a guy that, uh, in fact, by the way, we're going to have a virtual CD release show uh, that Chris Neville, who Chris Neville plays in Tribute to Soros. You probably heard of that band. Of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a renowned musician, plays on a lot with a lot of different people. He's got a show that, since we've had this shelter in place, he does on Thursday night. It's called C Nev, N E V apostrophe S, C Nev's Place. He does it on Thursday night. So we're going to actually do a CD release or a record release show on his virtual show, which is, uh, again, C Nev's Place. You can watch it on YouTube or whatever. And, uh, and that'll be July 15th. Okay. Yeah. So that, that'll be the official release show. And we'll do it virtually. So we're going to see how it goes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been ta- I've been talking to you know I've had I have a lot of musicians on the show as you know, cause, mm-hmm. Terry, uh, and and it's it's interesting to see how they're embracing this the the virtual world now that they have to, um, and and doing shows and stuff virtually uh, over the internet and on Facebook and things like that. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's not all bad. It's kind of fun to do. It's, it's different. So it's always when you do something new, it's kind of interesting. So like, I've done some releases where I'll play a song. And record it on my iPhone, you know, video it, and I'll send it to the bass player who'll do something. He'll send it to the drummer. Before you know it, you'd have everybody doing it, and then you can release it, and everybody's kind of playing together. It's yeah. been kind of fun to, to operate in that. It's it's a different, it's a whole new world in that regard. And, you know, listen, I don't know how, when this thing's going to end. Uh, I know people are telling me they're not going back to work to their office for the rest of the year. So, you know, I don't know how... When's the next time everyone's going to want to get elbow to elbow in a bar? You yeah. Know? Uh, hopefully soon, but this this could be months if or you know maybe over a year till we get back to normal if we get back to normal. So yeah. you got to adjust, you know. Yep. Well, I mean, how's it doing the radio show? You can't have you can't have guests come into the studio. No, and everything's no. like this. Yeah. Know? No, it's it's all uh, it's all over the phone. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean when we're, we're here, you know some some of the hosts are doing their shows from home. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, some are coming in, but you know, when we're here, there's only three of us here. Um, so there's, right. you know, there's less connection, uh, less connection. I mean, we just have, we have one engineer who's here and then it's just Tom and myself. And so, Tom's in a different room. If I remember correctly, you guys are separated even in different rooms. Yeah. I mean, well, he comes in and brings me things and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wear a hazmat suit, but yeah, he wears <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he did that before the corona problem. Uh, yeah, Ter- Terry, the smell, the yeah. smell of the man, just ridiculous. So, hey, Terry, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Best of luck with Still Got Me, and uh, you got a you got a website that people can visit. 
Yeah, TerryWhiteMusic.com. That's easy to remember. And, yeah, there you go. Hey, and thanks a lot for uh, for having me on the show. It's great. No, we, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. The album is called Still Got Me, TerryWhiteMusic.com, and check him out at uh, the Out of Space in Berwyn on uh, Saturday from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. with the band The Loaded Dice. Um, and uh, there you go. Terry, have a great gig on Saturday, okay, buddy? All right, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be listening to you every night. I appreciate that, man. Thanks very much. All right, guys. Okay, see ya. Terry White, great guy, great guy, great musician. Uh, go check him out with the Loaded Dice on Saturday uh, from 4 to 7 p.m. at Out of Space in Berwyn. And it's the first one is since early March that's been open to the public. So uh, it's going to be a fun event. All right, Terry White, a great guy. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. Coming up after uh, 1 o'clock, we're going to talk with uh, Mark uh, Rodiger, who is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. So that's going to be coming up after 1 o'clock. Uh, all right, uh, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Right. This is this cover again. Will to power? Is that what it is? Yeah, will to power. Okay. Covering a little 10cc. Oh, yeah. Were they considered a yacht rock band, 10cc? No. 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 That was a band that consisted of Godly and Creme. You familiar with Godly and Creme? Mm-hmm. They did that video, Cry, which all the faces kind of melded together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, were, they were known as video directors, too. True. Yeah. You know who was actually an unofficial member of 10CC? He was asked to join but never did. Who? Andrew Gold. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he used to play with them a lot on uh, on the record. Oh, okay. Everything you ever wanted to know about 10CC. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had I'm not in love. They had things you do for love. Yeah, that was a big one. Were those the two those were the two big hits that they had, right? I'd say so. Yeah, I'm not in love and uh the things we do for love. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Mark Rediger is going to join us. Um, he is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And we're going to talk about UFOs. That's coming up. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number on the Team Hockburn phone line. Hockburn phone line. We are going to talk about the greatest yacht rock songs of all time. Uh, biggest work Workplace Mistakes Ever, and uh, Classic Carson. Johnny Carson Show, you can watch it every night on Antenna TV. Always a lot of fun to watch. And uh, we always play back some Classic Carson, whether it's an interview or some stand-up or a sketch or something like that. And uh, this morning we're at 2.30, we're going to play back some Karnak the Magnificent, which is uh, my favorite bit that, uh, that Johnny used to do. And this would be from 1984, some Classic Karnak the Magnificent. And uh, we have a round of Know Your Onion. Wednesday morning at 3.30 every Wednesday morning, we play a round of Know Your Onion. And that's when uh, two people call in. You are our two contestants. Each one has a, uh, a full round to play. Tom, will, Tom is your host. He'll read uh, some news headlines, and you have to guess whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And if you get the majority of them correct, you win. It's that simple. So there you go. So what is this, this story that you... That you handed me here. Um, well, you know, I always like to keep a, a folder of strange happenings throughout the United States. Yeah. And uh, this one this one happened just fall into my folder today. 
Uh, a Florida woman's lawsuit is demanding a paternity test for the five baby goats she bought from a neighbor. And this is Florida. That's a sh- Are you shocked that this, this story comes out of Florida? What, what did Homer Simpson call Florida? You remember Homer Simpson called Florida? Oh, God. America's wang. <laughs> can, can you say that? Yeah. <laughs> a Florida woman filed a civil lawsuit against a neighbor demanding a paternity test for the five goats she purchased in December. The lawsuit filed by Chris Hedstrom demands that her neighbor, Heather Daner, either refund the $900 she paid for the five Nigerian... $900? For the five Nigerian dwarf goats that she purchased in December or provide a sample of DNA from the goat's purported father to prove their lineage. Come on, now. First of all, it's $900 to buy goats? 900 bucks. I'd, I'd have to check with Orion on that one. I'm sure he's got the going price of goats. Well, I mean, I, these are specific. They, they described here Nigerian dwarf goats. That seems like a rare goat. Yeah. That seems like kind of a rare goat. That's not your garden variety goat. No. Hedstrom's lawsuit alleges she was under the impression that she would be able to register the goat's pedigrees with the American Dairy uh, Goat Association. There's an American Dairy Goat Association? <laughs> I'm always, you know, I'm always amazed when we we come across these stories and there's all kinds of weird organizations and groups out there that nobody would know exists. What does the American Dairy Goat Association do? Well, uh the American Dairy Goat Association, a non-for-profit corporation, uh is a United States non-for-profit corporation dedicated to dairy goats. I mean, it's... <laughs> That's it? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a little digging here. You want to guess when that was founded? Uh, I don't know, 1912. Not far off. 1904. 1904? 1904. So they uh, provide and circulate sound information about goats and goat's milk, maintaining and publishing herd books and production records of milk goats, and issuing certificates of registration and recordation, improving and developing milk goat breeds, uh, providing publicity and service for the goat dairying industry. My mom tells me that when I was a uh, when I was like a baby or a little kid, um, I couldn't tolerate cow's milk, and I had to drink goat's milk. No. Mm-hmm. Where well, I mean, do you just get that at the store? Do they have goat's milk at the Jewels? Uh, well, you know, back when I was a kid, they, they there was milk delivery. Mm. And we would have the milkman show up and put the milk outside the back door. Mm-hmm. That's how old I am. Um, and I think that's how they got it. I wonder if the goat milk guy was different from the regular milk guy. No, I think it was the same guy. It was the same he, guy? He would, deliver regu- he would deliver regular milk to us and the goat's milk when I was... I, I don't remember any of this because... No. You know. That's interesting, though. Uh, so the American Dairy Goat Association... She said uh, Daner, the owner of Baxter Lane Farm in Odessa, told her the father of the goats, Country Caprice Ace. That's the that's the name of the goat? Country Caprice Ace? Was registered with the organization, but the group rejected her attempt to register the babies because Daner is not an active member. 
Hedstrom alleges the association told her she would need to submit 40 hair follicles from the father goat to prove the lineage of the babies, so she sent Dana a letter requesting the DNA sample. Dana responded by offering to take the goats back and give Hedstrom a refund. Uh, Dana said Hedstrom has repeatedly trespassed on her property and has called the police on her. She said the other woman sent her a message in March telling her not to contact her again, and that was the last she heard until the lawsuit was filed this month. Daner said she is due in court next month. She said she plans to represent herself because she doesn't want to spend any money on a lawyer. Okay. A paternity test for goats. That's funny. This hair follicles, right? <laughs> I wonder if Maury Povich ever gets those. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, on, his, on his show? Yeah. I, I think this would have been prime for Maury. This could this would have been an easy springer, you know. Let's get the let's get the paternity test yeah. uh, test for those goats. <laughs> paternity test for the for the goats. Yeah, you are the goat. <laughs> you are not the goat. <laughs> you see the goats jumping up and down and celebrating, and <laughs> if there's one goat lipstick and you know. Eyelashes on, just crying. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I don't. Is Maury Povich still on the air? Oh, he's got to be right. Does he still do that? Is that? I mean, because that's like so. the only thing he does, right? Are the paternity things, the paternity test? At this point, you know, and I got all the respect in the world for Maury Povich, but uh, <laughs> he's who's who is he married to? He's. I didn't. I did not know he was married. He's married to a famous woman. A news, oh. a newswoman, I think. Let's see, Maury Povich, the Connie Chung. Uh, yeah, Connie Chung, yeah. married in 1984. Yeah. Wow, that's talk about a power. You know, he's 81. He's 81. Maury Povich, 81 years old, born January 17th, 1939. Wow, good for you, Maury Povich. Good old Maury Povich. You are not the father. Uh, that show is ridiculous. Oh, it's the best. You're homesick. Nothing to watch. You know, Price is Right's already over. What you got to yeah. turn on? Maury. Or a court TV show. Put on Hot Bench. Hot Bench. That was crazy last week when we were talking about how many court shows there were. Yeah. Nuts. I brought it up to my grandmother, uh, who is a big fan of court shows. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, no. She, it's it's her favorite thing. She loves court shows. There's two things she watches. Uh, mass from Ireland on her on her Facebook page mm-hmm. and court TV. Makes so, sense. There you go. All right. Uh, let's break here for the news, and then Mark Rodiger is going to join us, president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. We'll talk a little bit about UFOs, and that's coming up after the news. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. 
as we continue on this uh, Wednesday morning. Um, my uh, next guest is uh, the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And he's been working on UFO studies for years. And uh, his name is Mark Rediger. And uh, we've got some stuff that happened on this date. We have to, this is a kind of an important anniversary in the in the in the look back. The U.S. Uh, Air Force reports on Roswell back in uh, June twenty fourth on this date, uh, nineteen ninety seven. So um, let's uh, let's bring Mark on. Hello, Mark. Hi, Nick. How are I, you? I appreciate the opportunity to talk about UFOs tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. How, what was your? How did you get uh, started in uh, in that study? Well, I, uh, I grew up in northwest Indiana, so I was close to uh, Chicago and Dr. Heineck, and that made a difference because when I was a college student, he started the center in the fall of 1973, um, and um, I actually went to Indiana University for my undergrad. So when I came home uh, in the summer, I thought, you know, I'd, I'd always been interested in UFOs, like a lot of kids in the 60s. And I thought, eh, I want to get seriously involved. And so I contacted uh, him and the organization. And, you know, he, he actually didn't want to have young undergrads involved. It took a little persuasion on my part. But uh, I finally convinced him that I could uh, make a contribution. I volunteered. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have uh, stuck with it ever since. So did this, was this something that was with you? I mean, you, you just said, was this something that was with you? Were you always fascinated by this, even when you were a kid? Yeah, I would say the earliest I can remember, you know, being, you know, reading books about it um, was maybe uh, nine or ten years old. Um, you know, when I, I, I'm, I was born in 53, and when um, I was growing up, UFOs were very much in the news, you know, even more than now. Um, and so uh, I also was interested in the space program and things like that. And it, it just kind of all came together in my mind. And, and um, the other thing is, as I found out later, is I appreciated what people were saying. You know, I, I believe people when they say they see something, even when I was a kid. Um, and so I, I read as much as I could but I didn't join. There were UFO groups around before the center, but I didn't join them. I stuck to my studies and did the things that kids do. But there was a, a giant UFO wave of sightings in the fall of 1973, mostly in the southeast U.S. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that Dr. Heineck uh, founded the center. Oh. And um, I, of course, followed that closely. And um, like I said, you know, that kind of even reinforced my interest. You know, I was now uh, grown and, uh, you know, able to do things in college. And I, like I said, I thought, you know, this is the time to, um, to take action and, and to get involved. And it, it's worked out really well. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great. Well, what about the, how, how is the study of, of UFOs and extraterrestrials, how is it, uh, how is it perceived you know, because I know that there's kind of there might be kind of like a cloud over it because some people think, oh, UFOs, you know, uh, extraterrestrials, it's kind of weird. How is it conceived, especially in in the academic community? Oh, it's always been something that's been verboten uh, that that people look at you with a sidewise look. Um, you know, that was true back then, um, and it's still true today. Though, of course, things are changing a little bit, which we didn't get a chance to talk about. But but over the years. Um, it has been uh, so difficult for academics or professionals to get involved that often they wanted to, to uh, contribute anonymously 
and wouldn't allow their name to be used, and they certainly wouldn't tell anybody they work with about it. Uh, let me give you a quick 30-second thing. A few years ago, um, I was we were contacted by a journalist from a, uh, a well-known major newspaper that I won't name, but you would easily know its name. And this fellow was one of the editors and had seen a UFO in his backyard, also seen by a neighbor near dusk mm. uh, in the summer. And uh, he called us to talk about it, and also, to, as, as people usually do, to see whether anybody else had reported it, which, which they hadn't. And uh, he said, I cannot talk to anybody in the newsroom. I can't talk to anybody, because if I do, they'll think I'm completely nuts. Wow. And, and that was only maybe, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I'd say. Wow. All right. So, so uh, uh, the the UFO, uh, the the world of UFOs. How many? You know, uh, is there a, is there a large contingency of people who 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 study uh, the uh, the UFOs, the world of no, UFOs? No, not really. Uh, it, it's there are many people who are who are uh, interested in it and attend uh, annual meetings or belong to a group called MUFON. They're actually the largest group. Um, the the center doesn't uh, take members as such. Uh, but uh, the um, people who are serious, uh, like myself, who spend a lot of time on it, you know, nobody's paid to do this. Everybody's a volunteer. Um, in numbers, you know, more than a handful, but le- less than a bushel. It's, 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 you know, we don't have enough qualified people involved because of all the difficulties uh, in doing this. Oh, okay. I see. So tell me about, uh, you know, see, so you, you work, you are part of the uh, the J. Uh, Alan Hynek Center for UFO Studies. Tell me about J. Alan Hynek. Uh, J. Alan Hynek was really a fascinating guy. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I met him because it wasn't just in UFOs. He was a classic scientist, actually a classic um, absent-minded professor. He once left his uh, briefcase on the, uh, the uh, purple line on his way back oh, from did? downtown Chicago <laughs> to his home at Evanston, but fortunately got it back. Um, but um, he had a goatee. He was a uh, you know an astronomer uh, and, and did that his whole life. Very respected astronomer, not a world class, you know, not not the world beater kind, but a very well known guy that did a lot of interesting work in stellar astronomy. Uh, he also was one of the first people to get an observatory with a video camera back in the '60s, um, and so he liked technology. Uh, and was kind of on the cutting edge with that. In fact, during World War II, he worked on uh, the proximity fuse, which was used by the military. And then he worked on the with V-2 rockets uh, that we got from the Germans, of course, right after the war. Um, and uh, what was important, and you know, why is he associated with UFOs in the center, is that when the Air Force started looking at UFOs in about... Uh, June or July of 1947. Uh, shortly after that, in early 48, they needed a scientist, an astronomer, who would help them look at the reports they were receiving and just determine whether there was some uh, astronomical explanation, which often there was. They, uh, and Dr. Heineck then was at Ohio State University, um, and the Air Force Project was in Dayton, Ohio, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which many people have heard of. And so they recruited him, um, and uh, he got involved that way. So he didn't, you know, he didn't uh, express an interest. It was like, well, okay, if you'll pay me to do this, sure, I'll do it. But when he started doing it and explained a lot of reports, he began to realize, because he was intellectually honest, you know, 
not only can I not explain some of these, some of these look like they're really hard to explain, period. And so his interest was piqued, um, and things just moved from there. Okay. And uh, and uh, so so it, it, tell me about the uh, the actual uh, the 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 actual center for UFO studies. Right, we, we we're we're a you know a nonprofit group. We're more like a think tank. You know, we don't as I say, we don't have uh, public members or all that. We publish monographs and reports, um, and um, we try to work on special research projects. You know, Roswell was one of our projects. Um, I did a a long term study of uh, people who claim they're abducted by UFOs. Um, we've also looked at, at UFO history. Um, one of our board members, who is a, a retired professor at Western Michigan University, and a few other people wrote uh, what I think is the uh, definitive book on um, uh, the government study of UFOs, not just the U.S. government, but the British government and others. So, um, you know, we do that, but we also um, do lectures do interviews like this, you know, try to inform the public as best we can. Yeah. And most important, I suppose, we have the largest collection of UFO cases in the world. Oh, well, we have to talk about that. Hang on, okay, Mark? Sure. All right, there's a lot more to talk about here uh, with uh, uh, Mark uh, Rodiger, and uh, he is the president of, and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, and we'll talk more with Mark right after this on WGN. Welcome back. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. And uh, yes, uh, Mark Rodiger is, the, is my guest right now. He's the president of scientific director of uh, the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And um, we were just talking about the uh, the studies. Now, tell me about the examples you, you just mentioned before the break about the UFO uh, cases. Tell me, tell, me, tell me about some of them and, and how many you have. Well, we, we think we have, you know, we've never gone through and counted them on paper, and of course we have them electronically now, but we think eighty or 90,000 separate reports. Wow. Uh, all kinds of reports, letters from people, really well-investigated reports done by, you know, competent investigators. Um, you know, for one example is we have the original report file for the famous Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Um, which was which occurred in 1961. There was a movie about it and a book about it, um, and you know, so we have that. We have original Air Force documents uh, that <laughs> actually. Uh, Dr. Heineck, you know, was an Air Force advisor all the way up to the end of the project and the, and the, at the end of the 1960s, and he often, not, you know, got copies of things that maybe should have stayed in the files. It was a kind of a five-finger discount uh, at the time. <laughs> um, and um, so we have that. Of course, we have all kinds of, uh, we have a, a, a pieces of material in a few cases um, that are said to have come from a UFO. There was a... Um, uh, something that was reported in um, Brazil back in 1957 at uh, Ubatuba on a beach where somebody said a UFO had crashed and they had found pieces, very small pieces of it in the water. 
um, and they retrieved it, and, you know, and one thing's led to another. It's been studied over the years, and we have two pieces of it, and recently we've actually done a reanalysis with the better technology, the more, um, you know, more capable technology that we have today. Wow. So, uh, and and uh, we talking about some of these cases. What are some of the more the most sort of notorious or interesting cases that you, you talked about? Well, the um, you know I think that if uh, the Father Gill case stands out as really an amazing case, it, it happened in Papua New Guinea, so it didn't happen in the states. But it's an amazing case because it is something that is very hard to discount as as not happening father go was a as it sounds he was a as a missionary mm-hmm. in in uh for the church um and working with the natives just like you expect except that uh he was you know got along fabulously with them and papua new guinea by the way is is a, is a difficult place to do that and uh in an evening um in the late 1950s when it was just getting dusk um Somebody came running to see him and said, there's some kind of a weird thing in the sky. Um, and he went out to look, along with some of the people in, in the uh, missionary, or the mission, I should say. And um, there was an object, a classic flying saucer, you know, in the sky, hovering there, completely visible. You know, 2,000 feet up, 1,000 feet up, you know, fairly large, could see it perfectly. It was a disc-shaped thing with a kind of a railing around it. And at one point, an entity came out onto the railing and waved at them. And this was such a clear sight that um, there, you know, you, you don't. It can't be a, a, an odd plane or some secret project that was being tested in Papua New Guinea. Um, it wasn't the planet Venus, which some skeptics have said. Oh, okay. All these people weren't hallucinating. It wasn't Venus because it was a clearly, you know, distinct object. Nobody had a camera, unfortunately. But the the point is that this is a, this is a sighting seen by you know many people, including this guy who was is you know a, a fellow who I met Father Gill later in the 1970s in, in Evanston at the center. Um, completely respectable, honest as the day is long, and so you know, either you have to conclude that everybody there was making this up. Right, um, or they really saw what they saw, and if they saw what they saw, well, you know, you can be the judge of what that means. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Let me ask you this: the uh, this this uh, uh, anniversary um, um, about uh, the 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 the, uh, the UFO reports, the UFO studies uh, from uh, mm-hmm. the, the Forest reports on Roswell. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, let me start with just one thing first, because June 24th uh, has another important, is, a, is an important date for another reason. Uh, that's the date that a guy named Kenneth Arnold saw nine UFOs flying in Washington State. And he was a, a pilot flying, looking for a downed plane. And it's his report that began the modern era of UFOs. So you picked a good day to have wow. our discussion here because uh that really led everything about it if if you want you know just just yeah, google well, ken arnold and ufos and everybody can can read all about that if they haven't heard about it well just a quick you can do a quick summation of that right well, well there was a plane that was down and ken arnold was trying to find it as were lots of other people or at least some people and he was a pilot he flew around uh, for his part of his job, actually, all over the northwestern U.S., 
and it was a completely clear day. Mid, you know, I think early afternoon, I remember the exact time, uh, on uh, June 24th, and he saw nine, not dish-shaped, they were actually kind of boomerang-shaped objects flying between two of the large mountains there, right? Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. Um, and he was able to time them because he knew the distance between them, and they were traveling somewhat over 1,000 miles an hour um, in formation. Um, and they just kept going. And, you know, he saw them for a reasonable period of time. They were quite distant from him, so they were very small, but he, he said he could see enough detail. And, um, there, of course, we didn't have anything that flew 1,000 miles an hour then. Yeah. And not nine things in a formation. So he, he landed. He told somebody about this. A newspaper guy got a hold of it and put the report in the paper, and all, you know, H broke loose, uh. basically, across the whole country. And what happened was, this was a case of, of, of what's called facilitation. Basically, other people had already been seeing UFOs that year. But that report in the newspaper made it okay for people to report what they were seeing. Oh, I see. Okay, and so yeah. all of a sudden, there were lots of reports, and, and I do think that there, there were, in fact, perhaps more UFOs appearing over the next couple of weeks. Roswell itself happened, that is the crash, we think, uh, just about uh, 10 days later. Uh, but uh, essentially, that kick-started, the, the Arnold sighting kick-started the modern UFO era, because since then, UFOs have just been in the news, you know, forever. Um, now, as I said, 10 days after that or so, what, what we think was probably July 2nd or July 3rd is when the Roswell crash itself happened back in 1947. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about that, uh, the, the effects of that, that crash in, in 1947. Obviously, you know, p- people associate, um, you know, aliens and, and uh, UFOs with Roswell. It's always forever going to be con- connected with Roswell. Tell us a bit about the crash and, and what happened after. Yes, the... the um it was discovered by a guy named Mac Brazel, who was a, uh, a rancher. He didn't own the ranch, but he was the foreman. And um, he went out uh, one day to uh, take care of things and found this strange debris. And that probably was July 3rd when he found the debris. Okay. And he then, of course, realizing it was strange, and he, he was very familiar with balloons and things from the Air Force, and that's an important point I'll get to. So he went into town. Town was about 70 miles away in Roswell. He lived northwest of there. New Mexico then was very sparsely populated in that part. So he got into town. He didn't have a phone either, and talked to the sheriff, of course, and said, you know, what had happened. The sheriff immediately realized it was important and called the base at Roswell and said, you know, there's a guy you should talk to. The commanding officer at the base sent uh, his intelligence officer there and said, you know, go over there and talk to him. His name was Jesse Marcel. He talked to Mac Brazel and um, said, looked, and he brought a piece of debris with him, and he said, you know what, I should go out there and take a look. So he talked to his commanding officer and said, yeah, this is this is looks important. We should look into this. So he... Marcel took another guy and named Cavett, and they drove out with the rancher that day to the ranch to look at what, what he had found. And they stayed overnight, actually, to do it because it was such a long drive. Well, the, uh, you know, it's a long story, but basically um, they saw the debris field the next day, which was quite long. It was at least a quarter mile in length with 
lots of debris scattered over it, though, though scattered, you know, not continuous debris right, for a right, mile. Right. Very strange. Light but strong. Um, not necessarily an object visible. It was all broken up. They brought, it, brought some of it back to the base. And why do we know about it? Because um, on July 8th, the commanding officer, uh, Blanchard, issued a press release that said the 509th Bomb Group, that was the bomb group at the station at the base, um, has got one of these flying disks. They weren't called UFOs back then, or they were called flying disks. And uh, we have one in our possession, and we're sending it to higher headquarters. Wow. Imagine that. The Air Force actually put out that press release from Roswell. That was uh, early in the afternoon on July 8th. Uh, A few hours later, at higher headquarters, which for them was in Fort Worth, um, the the commanding officer there, Roger Ramey, undercut that press release and said, no, 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 no. They, They just found a weather balloon. They misinterpreted a weather balloon as this debris. So nothing to see here, folks. Just go away. Oh wow! And um, and that amazingly, because it was a different era, that buried the story for the next thirty years. Wow, wow! That's amazing. That is amazing. So, what do you think of the uh, of um, the the uh, the the report that came out? As I said, it buried the story for 30 yeah. years. Then yeah. um, Marcel began to talk about the case. Right. And people began to look into it And uh, in the late 70s. By the early 90s, there was so much information. So many people had been interviewed. Now, I've, I've interviewed myself, some of the, the, the old retired military guys, that it was impossible to ignore. The press was covering it. The public was interested. TV programs are being done. The government felt it actually had to react to UFOs, in which it hadn't done since the late 60s. So they put out a report, a first report in 1994, not in June, um, that tried to explain it away. And it didn't work. Mm. So the mystery continued. And and there was a crescendo building in June of 1997, which was the 50-year anniversary of the sighting. Yeah. And so the Air Force felt compelled to put out another report. Imagine that. They put out a report to say, this is the definitive report. And then three years later, they put out another report. And that's the one that came out, you know, that that, uh, we're talking about now. Yeah. That um, uh, claimed that, well, yeah, people did see bodies uh, at the crash site. But, in fact, they were just crash dummies we were testing. Oh, okay. All right. uh, and they were confusing, and oh, and by the way, those dummies weren't in 47. They were actually 10 years later, but they got confused about the timeline oh, and, I see. and all okay. this stuff. Okay. All right, Mark, hang on a second, okay? Sure. All right. Uh, we are talking with uh, with Mark uh, Rodiger, and he is the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, and we're talking about uh, UFOs, and we've got more to talk about right here on 720 uh, WGN.
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here, and we're talking with uh, Mark Rodiger, who's the president and scientific director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And um, Mark, uh, welcome back. Hey, yeah, good to uh, be back, Nick. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the CIA's uh, UFO history, which you wrote about. Yes, the uh, it's a notorious history. Yeah, um, and uh, the most important thing that the CIA did was to hold a meeting in in January of 1953 um, and um, create a policy to to debunk UFOs. And, and the reason that happened is because in the summer of 1952. There were a series of UFO sightings over not just the U.S., but right over Washington, D.C. Um, and the uh, CIA became concerned that there were potentially sightings, uh, so many sightings, that they swamped the phone lines with people reporting. You know, they didn't have the kind of reporting system that we, we have now in this right. country. With, right. So, uh, and they thought, of cool, who else? That the Soviets could do the same thing somehow. They, they could confuse us and lead to a sneak attack, potentially. Um, they also thought that, and this is really, w- w- was, you know, you might say, well, there's maybe some logic in that. But they also believed, per the general paranoia in the Cold War days, that um, UFO groups and individuals could be secretly working to subvert the government. You know, maybe maybe not uh, consciously, even they were doing it. You know, just by studying UFOs and questioning whether the government was releasing all the information. You know, that could be a problem. So, for all those reasons, they held this meeting with some very top-level scientists. Dr. Hynek was there as kind of a junior member, and um, the uh, senior group recommended that the government downplay as much as possible UFOs. They didn't worry at all about scientifically investigating them. In fact, that they thought that UFOs really could all be explained. There's not, no mystery here at all. Right. So the idea, and the, the critical thing was to get the public not interested in UFOs. In fact, they, they talked about things like using Walt Disney, uh, the company, to put out essentially propaganda about UFOs. Um, and they also recommended keeping an eye on UFO groups and organizations, which did then happen in the 1950s and 1960s. So the Air Force, up until that time, had done some reasonable work investigating UFO sightings. After that was what's called the Robertson Panel. H.B. Robertson was the scientist who led it. Um, then the policy changed, and it, it while some investigations were done... Well, like the Socorro case in 64 in New Mexico with a policeman seeing a landed UFO. Um, For the most part, the idea was come up with any crazy explanation that's possible to get rid of all the cases, try not to classify anything as unidentified, because we don't want the public to be interested in UFOs. Mm. And that, that, so that's the worst thing they did. Beyond that, uh, let, me, let me flip it over. Yeah, uh, yeah. Imagine the following. People are seeing strange things in the sky, including military pilots. Um, scientists even are seeing them. People are sometimes measuring and taking photographs. Would you think that the country's military and civilian intelligence agencies should be not only aware of that, but that they should be looking into it? Well, the answer is, how could they not be, right? Yeah. But the problem is, they didn't. 
as far as we know, unless there was some secret project that we haven't yet uncovered, <clears throat> they put their heads in the sand. They said, no, we're not going to look into what these people are reporting. Um, you know, we're going to ignore it, and we're going to go about our business and worry about the, the Soviets, which admittedly was a more direct, you know, threat. Sure. But still, <clears throat> they ignored this, this, this interesting, if, if true, not, not super concrete evidence for things being seen, but again, being seen by very reliable observers, you know, their own pilots, their own military men, etc., Wow. So it's, 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 it's an interesting history. Now, you, you wrote this piece. What, what, what was uh, the, the, the history that you looked into? When- well, the, um, in, the, in the 1990s, you know, after the Cold War, <clears throat> the uh, intelligence agencies, including the CIA, began to open up their archives. You know, the Soviets did that after the Berlin Wall fell, and some of that began to happen here in its own way. And so the CIA tasked one of its internal historians, a guy named Gerald Haynes, to write a history of the CIA's involvement with UFOs. So he wrote that, and, and there was an unclassified and a classified version. I've never seen the classified version, but the, classif- uh, the unclassified version came out of, you know, in the mid-'90s. So we looked at it, and you know, some of it was okay, but there was one crazy thing in it, that I knew I had to investigate. Okay. So let's go back to the 1950s when the U-2 spy plane was developed. Okay. Which was the, the, the first plane, of course, that could fly at high altitudes, take photos. This is before satellites. And so it was sent over the Soviet Union to take photos. One was shot down. A guy named Gary Powers, a pilot, you know, was held by the Soviets for a while. Um, the Haynes claimed, because somebody, an, an old guy, you know, retired guy at the CIA told him, that, oh, back in the 50s, uh, maybe up to half of all UFO sightings were caused by the U-2 spy plane. Well, the U-2 spy plane flies really high in the sky, but it's a plane. It doesn't, it, you know, it's not a missile or anything. It's not a disc. It's a plane. And not only that, I know from studying the files that there's no way. that, that That's actually a crazy claim. Mm. So the So what we did was, what I did was, I contacted a guy named Major Robert Friend, who was the head of Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, which I'm sure many listeners have heard, is the, was the name of the main UFO project. Right, right, that right. looked at UFOs. Right. Um, and uh, Major Friend got along very well with Dr. Hynek. He was one of the good guys in the project, tried to do the best he could, given those limitations I mentioned. So I called up Major Friend back in the 90s. He was still around. And I said, I read him the relevant part of Haynes' um, comments, and he laughed uproariously. And he said, you know, I, I can't quite quote him, <laughs> but, he, okay. but the, the upshot is, he said, no way. <laughs> that He's completely off base. There's no way that half the sightings we got were caused by the U-2 spy plane. Uh, yeah, and he, you know, here, here's the guy who ran the program telling yeah, you that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Okay? Because he knows what the characteristics are. And, and, and the other reason is lots of people reported UFOs close to the ground. You know, things that landed, things that they could see next to a tree, you know, thing, the, things that, that were within their field of view, not high up in the sky. The UFO, the U-2 over the United States never flew that low because it didn't want to be seen here. It was a secret plane. Right. So, so there's an example of, of you know, of an official history that, that at least on that point, is completely inaccurate. Wow.
So is this ever going to be cleared up? Are we ever going to solve any any of these mysteries, Mark? What do you think? Well, I, I, I'm hopeful. Let's say I'm more hopeful than I was um, maybe three years ago uh, because the New York Times reported back in December of 2017 on the videos that were taken by Navy pilots, which, which were taken, of course, when the people were visually seeing UFOs and they were being picked up on radar. Uh, and this is a story that it broke with the times. We had actually heard about it before that in the UFO community. But um, we, all, we know that pilots have always seen UFOs. I mean, I, I just saw a report last week from a uh, pilot from one of our, uh, either FedEx or UPS, uh, two pilots flying over Mexico that videoed a light outside their window, a UFO. So they're still being seen uh, from the air. Well, these were uh, naval pilots in more than one incident that uh, saw a UFO because they were vectored there by radar, and then their uh, cameras on the plane picked up the UFO. And the incredible thing is that this stuff got released, and then the pilots were willing to talk about it mm. and stand behind these statements, and the military didn't stop them from doing so. No, they were all you know out of the military by then. Well, this has been gaining momentum, the, the interest in this, uh, in the last two and a half years, uh, so much so that, that just like two days ago, the uh, Senate Select Intelligence Committee um, has asked for the government for next year to begin a systematic effort to report on what it knows about unexplained sightings of things. Now, their focus is on unexplained technology that could be from our adversaries, China, Soviet Union, and so forth, but it, they leave it open for, you know, essentially whatever the cause is for this technology. Um, and so that kind of official interest is totally new mm-hmm. in the UFO community and mm-hmm. in, in, in UFO history uh, since the, the 60s in Blue Book. So that does give me some hope because... Otherwise, I will say, UFOs are very hard to study. And the reason is they don't appear <laughs> in any pattern. Right. Um, you know, you could do experiments in the lab with almost every other science kind of thing. You can go out, uh, you know, I, my undergrad degree is in astrophysics, and you can go out with a telescope and study stars and on and on, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't just go out at a certain time and say, we're going to go out and study UFO tonight. Can't do it. And that's been a tremendous hindrance uh, for us, you know, all these years. Um, but um, so getting official interest is, is, for all the obvious reasons, extremely important. And I'm just hoping this continues. Mm. Wow. It's fascinating stuff. It really is. Tell me a little bit about what you think of the, the declassified UFO videos that were taken by the Navy pilots at the Pentagon. I think they're legitimate. Um, I, I think that um, the that they're the tip of the iceberg. You know that uh, that that they're not easily explained as Chinese drones um, or even our own drones being tested against our our pilots. You know, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. They would do it in the, in the way it occurred. Right. So I think they're unexplained. I don't think they're also, you know, in a distant aircraft or anything. Um, you know, it's, it's it, it, you know, people have tried to debunk them. I've read through those efforts. I'm, you know, I'm not convinced. Um, but, um, you know, but we need more data. And, and one problem is there is still secrecy. You know, there's a guy um, who ran 
a small UFO program in the government that was uh, funded uh, through efforts by Harry Reid, the former senator from Nevada, right, and um, called ATIP. And um, uh, Louis Elizondo was the guy who um, ran this program. But um, the program's results are still basically classified. You know, these videos have been released, but the program behind it and the whatever else this program was doing with Elizondo says was studying UFOs. Um, has This stuff has not been released, and, so, and not only that, we don't even have, a like, the Navy report on these videos and these sightings. So we're still very much in the dark as to the details on these things. Yeah. And without that, I understand why, and you know, a, a scientist or who is neutral to the subject, oh, well, maybe UFOs are interesting, maybe they're not, I don't know, yeah. is going to say, you know, show me your data on this stuff. You know, then, then I'll get really interested. Right, and at right, this right. point, there isn't much. Right, okay. Listen, Mark, uh, fascinating stuff uh, to, uh, talking to you, uh, president of the, uh, the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. Is there a website that people can go to? www.cufos.org, kufos.org. Kufos.org. Okay, Mark, thanks very much. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, take care. Nick. There you go. Mark uh, Rodiger, everybody. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, and we'll be back. Hello. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4, as we are every weekday night into morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some news and information from those great people. And then the uh, legendary Bob Surratt is your morning drive at 5. 312-981-7200 is the phone number for the, for the Team Hochberg phone line. And uh, we're talking about uh, big work, big biggest workplace mistakes. Have you ever really messed up big time at your job, at one of your jobs that you've had? You really screwed up. What happened? Did you get away with it? Tom, you, you told me a story off the air about... Uh, I think you should share. <laughs> uh, you used uh, to work yeah. at Cheese Cheese Village. What was it? Yeah, we'll call it Cheese Village. Okay, for the sake of uh, you know not hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, so I used to work at a place that made uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. So there was constantly cheese around, and uh, me and my coworkers, especially on Sundays when we had to work ten to ten, so ten a.m. to ten p.m. twelve hour shift, twelve hour shift. Most of that time spent sitting on our butts watching AMC on on television, <laughs> uh, usually Top Gun or Jurassic Park, whatever was on. But uh, sometimes we would get into cheese fights. Yes. So we would throw slices of cheese and try to get kind of creative, hide around corners and stuff, or pop out of uh, from a closet. You know, if someone's bringing the mop back, they open it up, boom, you're in there, you hit him with cheese in the face. <laughs> uh, so. One of my coworkers stepped outside for for a break, and uh, I thought to myself, "Oh, I'm gonna get him! Oh, I'm gonna get him good! Grab a slice of cheddar, particularly good slice of cheddar, if I do say so myself, and uh, hide behind a corner, waiting for them to come back from outside. Yeah, from the back door. Uh, they come in. I close my eyes and I just whip that slice of cheese as hard as I can. Like I, I was, I was like Kofax, just yeah." And uh, as I did, I screamed, oh, I got you, expletive. Yeah. And when I finally look and open my eyes, it was my manager. <laughs> and I had just absolutely 
annihilated her with a slice of cheese. Like it, it, it sounded like a yeah full on. Uh, and she took the slice of cheese off her face, looked at me, and said, "You have about five seconds to get out of here. I'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> I said, "Yep, no problem," and just <laughs> booked it, booked it out the door. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Slapping your boss in the face with a slice of cheese. That's a good example of a workplace blunder. Have you ever really screwed up at work? What have you done? Did you get away with it? 312-981-7200. Here are some screw-ups here that I want to get to. There's a story out of uh, Spain. Uh, conservation experts in Spain have called for a tightening of the laws covering restoration work. After a copy of a famous painting by Baroque artist uh, Bartolome Esteban Murillo became the latest in a long line of uh, artworks to suffer damaging and disfiguring repair. Private art collector in Valencia was reportedly charged uh, €1,200 by a furniture restorer to have the picture of the Immaculate Conception cleaned. However... The job did not go as planned, and the face of the Virgin Mary was left unrecognizable despite t- two attempts to restore it to its original. I mean, this is ridiculous. Do you see the picture of this? It looks like a children's painting. It does. I mean, it's just it's insane. Uh, the case has inevitably resulted in comparisons to the infamous Monkey Christ incident eight years ago when a devout pa- parishioner's attempt to restore a painting of uh, the scourged Christ on the wall of a church on the outskirts of North Spanish town made headlines around the world. You remember that picture? You remember that painting? How they yeah. that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It looked like someone had finger painted over it's one of Jesus. the most ridiculous <laughs> things I've ever seen. Parallels have been drawn with the botched restoration of the 16th century polychrome statue of St. George and the dragon in northern Spain that left the warrior saint resembling Tintin uh, or a, a Playmobil figure. <laughs> That's terrible. Fernando Carrera a professor for the School of Consolation, Conservation and Restoration of Cultural Heritage said such cases highlighted the need for work to be carried out only by properly trained restorers. I don't think this guy or these people should be referred to as restorers, he told The Guardian. Let's be honest. They're bodgers who botch things up. They destroy things. So, yeah, there's a, there's a blunder right there. And if you, you were to see the picture of this, um, of the painting itself the, and, and how it was restored. It is it is completely ridiculous. It does. It looks like a four-year-old did it. So um, they want regulation <clears throat> in Spain. Um, so now I have some uh, some stories here that are true, that are real work blunders. These are real stories, workplace blunders. And uh, we would love to hear from you. I'm sure you have uh, done something at work that was uh, not good, was a blunder. What was it? Describe it. Tell us the story. And uh, and did you get away with it? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We used to screw around in the uh, the basement of Jewel with the... uh, with the the motorized lifts that you would lift up pallets with, we would ride on those things and smash them together. 
I can picture Joaquin Phoenix in the background just with the thumb, you know? Yeah. It's like Gladiator. Yeah. Uh, the You know, especially when the basement, like if it was right before before a load came in, mm-hmm. you know, because the basement would be pretty... Pretty barren? Pretty, yeah, pretty... There'd be more room to more smash room. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone catch you? Did anyone think like, hey, where where's DeGilio and uh, ev- all the other young guys that work here? I, I can't... Uh, I don't remember ever getting busted for doing that. What's the sound of that scraping metal coming from downstairs? Ah, it's Flying nothing. around downstairs and smashing <laughs> into each other on the lifts. Destruction Derby at the I Jewel. Don't, I don't think we ever got busted. I'm trying to remember if we ever got busted. But I don't think we ever did. You know, there's a period of time when I was working at Jewel on the overnights. You know, I had the right. over, I did the overnight shifts for, for some years at Jewel mm-hmm. until I shifted over to, to the dairy department and worked, started working days. But... um. They would lock us in the store. They would lock us in the store. So, like, if there was some sort of, like, fire or emergency or something like that, we would have been screwed. We would have to use the fire door. Game over, man. To get out. But they lock Jeez. us. They would lock us in. The, they would lock all the front doors. Well, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you would conceivably have no reason to walk out. We were only open till 11 at that time. Like, mm-hmm. that jewels. I think that jewels 24 hours now. On Southport, the one on Southport is it twenty four hours? Oh, I don't know. I think it's a twenty four hour one now. Um, so we would be locked in until the. And I remember the produce guy, the the guy from the the produce uh, department would, would be the first guy in. He was like the produce manager, and he had a key to unlock the door and get in. He'd be the first guy in, and that was a, we. So we would be locked in from. We worked eleven to seven. We would be locked in from eleven to five five thirty. <laughs> Good lord! Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they do that anymore no. at, at Jewel. I don't think they lock people in. And that one on Southport is six a.m. to twelve a.m. Oh, it's open till midnight. Yeah, it's open till midnight. All right. I think that's like my. I think my dad's store is open till midnight. I think they shorten the hours though because of the coronavirus. Yeah, that would be that would be my guess. Um, I, I, think I don't think they, I've ever think... been to a 24-hour jewel. Really? No. I've been to a 24-hour Walmart. There's 24. I mean, there's a lot of 24-hour jewels. I I believe they exist. They, no, like, they, they yeah, they do. Kind of like the narwhal. I've never actually seen one in person, but I believe they exist. Yeah, no. There's a there's a there are a lot of 24-hour jewels. Sometimes that's the best time to do your shopping. You know, like two o'clock in the morning. So, all right, we're going to talk about uh, real big workplace blunders. Have you screwed up at work? Did you get away with it? What'd you do? 312 981 7200. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to uh, 4 a.m. I'm your overnight dude here on WGN. 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, our colleagues over at the TV side of WGN. Get an hour's worth of news and information from that great group, and then the legendary Bob Surratt is your uh, morning drive host at 5. 312-981-7200 is the phone number on the Team Hockberg phone line. Um, and uh, we're talking about making huge workplace uh, mistakes, some big workplace blunders. Uh, 312-981-7200, and let's go to Darlene on WGN. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Okay. What I'm calling about is I uh, 
I uh, started Jewel in, in uh, 1958. I'm an older woman now, naturally. But anyway, I was 17, and this was winter time, uh, very cold winter in December. And the boss was throwing away this generic bread we used to sell, you know. And uh, he had a hundred, about 150 loaves, and he said, Darlene, you can help us out if you just throw it in the dumpster. I said, oh, gee, I said, you know, the poor little birds are out there looking for something to eat with the snow. I said, can't I just take it down by the creek? We had a creek in back of the store. Just take it down there and throw it away. And I said, I'll, and I'll make sure I, you know, he said, make sure no bread wrappers. I said, okay. He said, sure, go ahead. So I got down there, and it was, like I say, it was very cold. And I threw away about, about, uh, 50, 60 loaves, you know, broke it up in small pieces, and then my hands started to freeze. So I thought, well, I'll take the other just slices, and I'll put it down under the wheat, you know, the little brush out by the creek, and I said, it'll be fine. And so anyway, I did that. Well, about five months passed, and we had a beautiful area between Jewel and Osco, and I was walking out of one of the uh, offices upstairs, and uh, I see all these people gathered around looking out the window, and there were two Jewish men, and they said, oh, God must be throwing a bread from heaven, and it was a rainy day. And so I went over to look, because all these people were looking, pointing at the cars. There's about three, 400 cars in back, and there were slices of bread all over the cars sliding down their windshield. And and bread all over the rooftops. And it dawned on me that was the bread that the birds were getting a hold of. And, you know, there's a whole slices and they fell all over. And the Jewish man said, he said, this has to be an act of God. Yeah. Well, it's not, it wasn't an act of God. But, uh, no, yeah. it wasn't. No. It was a fiasco. But yeah. I, I meant it to be a good thing. Right. But, you know, to see the big cars like the Lincoln Continentals with these hood ornaments with a big eagle yeah. and to see this soggy piece of bread hanging from its neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, I I never admitted it, but I'm at an age now. I think the ones that know would know about it if they hear have to be upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Darlene. Thanks. You have a nice yeah. evening. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations is okay. I think I think you're safe to to discuss the bird incident or the bread incident, as it will be known. Uh, here's Gary on WGN. Hi, Gary. Hi, Nick. Uh, I just want this kind of weird. Back in the 50s and 60s, there was a Credit Bureau of Cook County Incorporated. Eventually, they were taken over by TransUnion. But uh, I worked there for several years, and uh, we moved to the old Mantle Brothers Warehouse, which was 425 North Michigan. Well, in order to save money, so to speak, they had me, well, I, I did in-house printing for the company. They had me refill five-gallon Hinkley and Smith bottles with water from the dock from a, from a hose. Uh, the employees got kind of uh, suspicious when algae started growing in the, oh. <laughs> in the containers. Yeah, that's not good. No, that's wasn't. not good. You don't want algae in your uh, in your containers. That's for sure. No. All right, thanks, Gary. Okay. All right, take care. <laughs> Jeez. Woof. Woof. Um. How about this? Um, these are actual true stories. I was installing a reverse osmosis water, water filtration system under the sink of uh, in a big fancy client's home, almost a million-dollar home. 
I cut the PEX pipe before the shutoff valve. By the time I got the water main shut off down in the basement, the water had run down and destroyed their basement ceiling and was running like a river into the guy's fancy man cave and electronics. The wife was screaming at me. She called her husband, who had a huge steroid-looking... He was a huge steroid-looking muscle head. I was sure I was going to be ended by him as he screamed in rage. The veins in his neck looked like they were going to explode. The boss's insurance covered the damage of $6,000 worth of repairs, but the company did not fire me. How do you not get fired for that? Um... All right. I, I work with a summer school for international students, and I prepare welcome packs to give them useful information when they first arrive on campus. The four packs include things like bus timetables, teacher contact details, and a map of the university campus. But the most important thing is the, t- um, is the timetable that tells them where to go on their first day. And guess who didn't pa- guess what didn't go in the pack? So lots of international students with various levels of English in a brand new place, wandering around clueless. They have no idea where to go on a very important day. It was pure chaos and pretty much my fault. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're talking about workplace blunders. What are some of the things that you've done that uh, you tell us the story and, it, and if you got away with it? 312-981-7200 on the Team Hochberg uh, phone line with your story. Um, I used to work for a TV internet tech support call center. I had a first date lined up after work and wanted to get home. A call came in at 9.59 p.m. He wanted to talk. Uh, wanted me to walk him through a complicated process that was known uh, to take a, min- a minimum of 45 minutes. I tried to get this guy off the phone and get him to call back the next day, but it, that wasn't happening. He wasn't going to let me go. I put him on hold to calm my nerves. My boss asked me what, asked me what the deal was. In response, I took off my headset and I threw it to the, into the wall. I told him in a way too loud voice some inappropriate things about the customer I was talking to. Thankfully, he didn't fire me, but I had uh, to get back to the call. I realized that when I threw the headset, it knocked the headset off of the receiver, uh, taking the call off hold and made the headset hot, and the guy heard everything I said. I felt sick to my stomach. I was certain this guy would want to speak to my boss. The call would uh, get be pulled, and I would be fired. Strange, un- strangely enough, the customer said he used to work at a similar job and knows the feeling. Despite being a jerk at the outset of the call, he actually turned out to be one of the more cooperative callers I've ever had. So I guess this guy did miss his date, right? As someone who has worked in a call center, uh, it's it's really tough. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I called. I used to call for the uh, the Loyola Phonathon, asking people to donate money. Oh God! Yeah, uh, some of those calls went south real quick. Yeah. So, especially yeah. when we were calling students who had graduated less than six months ago <laughs> and don't have money. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, can you donate?" Because he had to start at ask levels. I was like, hey, can you donate uh, $250? And they straight up said to me, dude, you're in school right now. Do you think I have effing yeah. $250 right now to yeah. just throw? I just gave Loyola, you know, this much money. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I could never be able to, I would never be able to work in a call center. No way. Okay. Uh, work screw ups. What blunders have you had? Let's hear your story and see if you got away with it. 
if it was really bad, 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200 on the Team Hochberg phone line, and we'll get back to your stories and more uh, work blunders right here on WGN. Speaking of Yacht Rock. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the greatest yacht rock songs of all time a little bit later, and uh, we would love to hear from you about what are your like your summer songs when you're lounging, you're out in the sun, or you're driving with a with the top down. What are your summer songs and uh, yacht rock songs coming up too? Also, uh, in just a few minutes, we uh, always play some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on on Antenna TV every morn every night. And so uh, every morning at 2.30, we play some uh, clips from the Johnny Carson Show. We're going to get a visit from Karnak, the Magnificent. Uh, Our phone line is open. We want to hear from you. Have you ever screwed up at work? What was your biggest blunder in the workplace? Uh, Tell us the story, and we want to hear from you. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Uh, on the Team Hochberg phone line, which is open right now for your stories about workplace blunders. We have a few more here. These are all actual real ones. Here we go. I misinterpreted a fuel order a pilot gave me and overfueled his Falcon 9000. We don't have defueling capabilities on our fuel trucks. I called a coworker and we luckily had some 100-gallon barrels and a pump. We drove a forklift. Um, and the barrels out to the jet and manually pumped the jet fuel out of the overwing fueling port. Um, the pilots had to transfer fuel from one wing to to the one where we were using to pump fuel out because we did not want to stick the hose too far into the wing and prevent internal wing damage. It took about two to three hours from the time I recognized my mistake to, to get... Uh, all the fuel off board. The fuel was then offloaded. Uh, the fuel that was offloaded was unusable, and I lost my company about $1,500 in jet fuel. These are some expensive mistakes we're talking about here. Uh, I once made a buggy change to some software I was helping develop. Uh, it worked okay in testing, but didn't scale once there were dozens of users hitting it, and, and it took down the web server. We redirected the users to a backup server, but that went down too. This caused about a dozen offshore oil rigs to not be able to do their normal morning shift reports while we tried to sh- uh, troubleshoot. Uh, they need their morning reports for planning purposes, so this caused a chain reaction where they went back to emailing spreadsheets to their bosses, which cost them more time to do analysis and made them delay many decisions. All told, that bug-knocking servers offline probably cost several million USD in uh, unrealized oil production. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, Let's see. we got uh, callers calling in. We've all uh, made mistakes. At work, some blunders and really screwed up. What about you? 312-981-7200. is Pat on WGN. Hi, Pat. Hi. Hi. Um, this happened back in the early 80s. I was teaching in Dubuque, Iowa, at a Catholic school at St. Mary's. And during Lent, we were supposed to take our class over to church to save the stations. 
Right. So one afternoon, I walked my class over to church, and we kind of went in the front door by the communion rail, and there were no lights on. So I had my class wait there, and I went behind um, the altar, and I was flipping on a couple switches. And every once in a while, I'd peek out, and I'd ask the kids, did the lights come on? They're like, no. So I go back and try a couple more switches. On the third time I came back, I asked the kids again, did the lights come on? And they're like, no, but you've turned the church bells on twice. (laughs) And (laughs) this is a true story. And so throughout the city of Dubuque, you could hear the church bells going because I made a mistake. Um, So I finally turned the church bells on. I did find a light switch. Yeah. But when we got back to school, I did get in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Wow, that's hilarious. That's really funny. All right, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Bye. The church bells are going. I bet people are like, what time is it? You know what I mean? People in the city were like, seriously, what? What? Good job, Pat. Good for you. That's funny. Uh, we're talking about uh, workplace blunders, 312-981-7200. Here's Steve on the Team Hochberg uh, phone line. Hi, Steve. Yeah, of course, I, I never personally messed up, but uh, I've got a lot of stories and heard a lot of things. I, I spent 40 years in the steel industry, and you could probably write a book all through the, all the mills down here in Indiana about you know things that people have seen or heard or yeah. did themselves. Sure, sure. But, but it seems like back in the in the late seventies, early eighties, all the young guys were smoking reefer and all the old guys were drinking. You know, <laughs> so, you could see why a lot of these things happen. But I mean, people used to run cranes off of runways off the end of the building. You know, oh, they used to. God. I knew a guy that, that put a train through a building. You know, <laughs> oh, because he, he walked past the switch he was supposed to throw and didn't. And he walked around the corner of the building and kept thinking, where's my train? Where's yeah. And you're a big crash, you know? Yeah. Well, there was a spur track there, and he just had a small little bumper there, and he just they just shoved the train right, right oh, in through the building. Man, oh, man. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> I do a young guy. He was about my age. He, he just started out as a foreman, but he got some really good reefer and went up and shared it with a craneman in a steel shop. Oh, my God. And then the guy went, and he got a heat, and he picked up, you know, the ladle full of molten steel, and he picked it up. They just tapped it. It was a brand-new heat. You know, they are going to pour it into molds and stuff. He said the guy just picked it up and just dumped it on the ground. <laughs> and he went running up to him. He goes, why did you do that? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. There's a lot of party going on in the steel industry then, huh? And, of course, he contributed to it because he smoked a joint with the guy. Yeah. So he had to kind of cover up everything. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. God, that's funny. I mean, they have wasted millions of dollars out there. Oh. You know? All right. Well, uh, at least the pot was good, right, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for the call. See you. All right. <laughs> So they had some really good reefer. Yeah, fast times at the steel mill. Oh, Jeez, man. man. That's that's not too dangerous. No, yeah. Oh. Nothing to it. Yeah, just uh, I, I could work in a steel mill, clearly. Yeah. An idiot like me. As long as you have some good reefer. <laughs> that's one of my favorite terms for pot. Is reefer? Yeah. 
Uh, and it just makes me it makes me laugh when people use that. Yeah. Maybe, well, it makes me think of reefer madness. Yeah, of course. And uh, I, I've always been partial to the devil's lettuce. Devil's lettuce. Uh, a, a jazz cigarette. Uh, yeah. Well, I always say people are blowing weed. Blowing weed. Yeah. Lid. Well, that's an amount of pot. Yeah. Well, does it throw you off when you walk through the mall and you see that store lids? <laughs> that's a very. <laughs> like, what are they selling a, that's there? A, you know, that's a that's a, a, a pretty dated term. That was a '70s term. That's the amount. What kind of? How much pot you gonna get? I need a lid, man. Because you had a nickel bag, you had a dime bag, and if you were really gonna party, you get a lid. I can't remember how much pot was in a lid but that was the most that you most most that you could get i guess from your your local scumbag (laughs) (laughs) from your local dope man yeah uh beekeeper in california making summer rounds with a partner checking hives uh we would clear out dead dying hives and build up strong hives uh, end of the day, we're heading back on I-80 with a load of dead hives and extras for building strong hives. Um, one tie-down comes loose, and suddenly about 20 hives are on the freeway. Carnage ensues with cars hitting hives, honeycomb everywhere, bees getting massacred on windshields. In a panic, I sprint onto the freeway to try to get the debris off. My life flashes before my eyes in the form of a semi-truck that I suddenly realize that I'm an idiot. The cops show up, and closing the freeway for 10 minutes while we clean the mess up. Only one person complained about getting hit by a hive, but there must have been more. Out of all the hives that went onto the freeway, we recovered a single box, maybe 15 frames of comb out of 180. Nobody got into trouble thanks to our boss being a great guy, and it, uh, it, it didn't hurt anyone. That's terrifying. Hurt the bees. Yeah. That's terrifying. So... All right, uh, more workplace blunders. 312-981-7200. What kind of mistakes have you made at work? Did you get away with it? All right, we're going to break here, and when we come back, it's time for some Carson comedy. Johnny Carson. And uh, we're going to get a a visit from Karnak the Magnificent. Right. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here. And we're here until uh, four, three thirty. We have a uh, another round of Know Your Onion. We'll take our first two callers. They will be the contestants, and Tom will quiz you. He'll read you some news headlines, and you have to decide whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. If you get the majority of them right, you win. It's that simple. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Gets you through to the uh, Team Huckberg phone line, and uh, right around this time every uh, morning. We play back some classic Johnny Carson clips, whether it be sketches or stand-up or interviews. Uh, You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. It's always a treat. And one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite things that Johnny Carson ever did is Karnak the Magnificent. And uh, this is from 1984. Let's get a visit from Karnak. Do get comfy. I hold in my hands the envelopes. A child of four can plainly see these envelopes are hermetically sealed. They've been kept in a mayonnaise yard since quarter of two this afternoon. No one knows the contents of these envelopes, but you, in your mystical and borderline divine way, will ascertain the answers to the question having never before seen or heard the question. 
Let's get on with it. I want to give you time to fix your feathers. Envelope number one. That's correct. Hermetically sealed. I will divine the yes. answer to the question sealed in this envelope. Mayonnaise jar, Funkin' Waggle sports. <laughs> Here's to good friends. Here's to good friends. <laughs> and the question, what does Ed Meese say when he's handing out federal jobs? <laughs> the Hotel New Hampshire. The Hotel New Hampshire. Or is John Glenn now working as a bellboy? <laughs> One sequin glove. <laughs> what should the well-dressed proctologist wear to the opera? Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. <laughs> what did Sitting Bull put on his master charge? <laughs> May your sister be voted the girl most likely to leave an indentation in the sand. Where's the beef? How does a girl ask direction to a male exotic dinner club? Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. Describe a member of Congress. Jockey shorts model and president of the United States. <laughs> Name two things Alan Cranston will never become. <laughs> Constantine Chernenko. <laughs> Describe the sound of a nude fat man sliding on a linoleum floor. <laughs> I'd like mine smothered with Thousand Island dressing. How does the Godfather order his salad chef killed? The right stuff. 
Or does William F. Buckley scrape off his shoe? I hold in my hand the last envelope. May your only daughter be listed under entertainment on Rodney Dangerfield's 1040 form. <laughs> During the rainy season and when the swallows return to Capistrano. <laughs> what do you need an umbrella? When do you need an umbrella? For why do you need? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh karnak never fails to amuse me never oh, it's such a great bit i just I, I gotta put some of those in my back pocket specifically <laughs> may your sister be voted most likely to leave an indent in the sand yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man well, there it is, uh, Karnak the Magnificent, and I'm sure that we'll have another visit from him in the future. Um, every uh, morning around uh, 2.30 uh, is when we play back some classic stuff from the Johnny Carson Show. And again, you can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. So much fun. Okay, so we've been talking about some big workplace blunders. Have you ever really screwed up at work? Tell us the story and if you got away with it. 312 981 How about this? I work for a large production company. Not large physically, but we built machines that cost millions each. I was in the IT department. In my first few months there, we installed a new domain controller server that required all users to create a new profile on their workstation and transfer all their files over. After doing this mundane, mundane repetitive task for about four hours, I got to the last computer before my lunch break, and it was the production manager's. One wrong, one wrong click later, and every file on his computer was history. Oh, no. Uh, including the production schedule for the next two months, of which he had no backup. We later questioned why such an important file had no backup, but that wasn't my problem. And oddly, I was not fired. It's amazing that these some of these stories and people just not getting fired. Isn't that nuts? Well, you know, I'll say this much: it's it can be much more difficult to find someone new than to just you know maybe keep them if they if they seem apologetic. And but doesn't that like seem like a something. fireable offense? Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, Especially in that business, they'd be like, ah, oh, man, he already knows the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you you want to keep your good IT guy. Yeah. Even when he does make yeah. some mistakes. By the way, does. we got a great IT guy. Oh, yeah. He's the best, Mark. He's, oh, he's the best, man. I love him. And he's hilarious. Oh, he's the nicest dude on earth. I was having trouble getting into my uh, getting into my work email, and he was on the phone with me for about a half an hour helping me out, and not only was he a great help, and he knew what he was doing, he's hilarious. <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor to work in IT. Yeah. I, I really he, believe he, that. He got back to me immediately. So, like, you know what I mean? There was no hesitation. Boom. 
did his job, was entertaining as hell, and fun to talk to. He made trying to figure out computer problems fun, which is not easy to do. That is rare in an IT guy. Yeah. He's great. I love I love Mark. I think he's great the best. Great dude. Great dude. I've had to I haven't I've had to work with him the past couple of weeks. So because I was having issues. But great guy. Uh okay, here's Doc on WGN. Hey Doc. Hey man. Uh hey, I used to pick up a whole bunch of boxes of canceled checks from the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City. And I'd run them to the downtown airport about 10 minutes away. Yeah. I'd put a bunch of them on a plane for Hayes and Salina, Kansas, and a bunch on a plane for Wichita, and the rest I took to our, our terminal and divided for our drivers. And the Federal Reserve Bank decided to consolidate, quit having that work done in Kansas City, so they started having it done out of the Fed in Dallas, and they blew it up by Learjet every day. And... I used a website called FlightAware, so I wouldn't have to sit at the downtown airport. I know when they're landing. Right. I'm sitting there wait, waiting for this Learjet, and the guy's bringing it in on the wrong runway. Oh. And he obviously gets the gets the word from the tower, pull up, pull up, go around, go around. And right at, he's about to hit the ground, and he tilts it just enough that drags one of his fuel tanks on the runway scatters fuel all down oh, that runway, man. closes it for hours, comes around, lands that thing. Uh, and I've got, I still got the two planes waiting to take this stuff. Oh. And I'm talking to the person that's in charge of the airport, trying to explain to him, I, I'm the guy that's receiving that freight. Can I get it? Because these two planes can't wait any longer. They let me go out there. These two pilots were, like, white as a ghost. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, they had to weigh all that freight to make sure they weren't over whatever. They released it to me, and uh, both those guys got fired that day. Yeah. Wow. Boy, that's a crazy story, Doc. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, they had, you know, fire truck comes out, and they're foaming the runway that they tried yeah. to land on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh and and the poor guy that wasn't flying, he got fired too. He got pregnant wife and just bought a house in oh, Kansas City. Oh. And uh, but uh, there was no apologizing or small boo boo. You know, their way out of that one. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. What a story, Doc. Hey, thanks for the call, sir. Okay. Okay. Take it easy. Wow. What a story, huh? Here's a quick one. Here, I worked in a little computer sales store with one other person, and who was the owner. Our typical schedule was that he opened, I closed, and I worked entire Saturday shift. I worked my typical Saturday shift, and I closed the store at 3 p.m., something I had done dozens of times. I had to open Monday morning for my boss. Going through the opening routine, I deactivated the security code and turned on all the lights and signs. When I got to our front door on the street front, I found it hadn't been locked. uh, uh, I hadn't locked the front door on a Saturday afternoon. It was obvious nothing happened. Because the security system had been activated and it uh, it attached to both doors and the store is motion detective. I can't imagine what would have happened if my boss had opened or if something else would have happened. He was lucky. Very lucky. So. All right. Uh, we're talking about workplace blunders. All right. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. As we are every weekday night into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 
Um, and uh, coming up uh, after uh, 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, and that great team gives us some news and information until 5, and then at 5 o'clock, it's the one and only Bob Surratt. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom here on uh, WGN. So we've been talking about some uh, workplace blunders. Have you ever screwed up at work? What would you do? Tell us the story. Uh, 312-981-7200. So... Um, Uh, I worked in a photo lab. We were generally busier in the summer as many people were dropping off film from family trips and vacations. When we develop the film, all we do is attach it to a leader card, and the leader card drags it through all the rollers into the different solutions for developing. They come out dry, developed, and no longer light-sensitive on the other side. Well, it was a particularly busy summer day, and I was trying to play catch-up. Apparently, one of the leader cards was bad, and the little slots inside um, that linked to the gears to move it through the machine were broken, and a couple of rolls uh, got, go jammed. I ended up with two different customers' rolls filmed chemically bonded together inside the machine, impossible to develop pictures for these two rolls. Anyway, the customers came back to try to pick up their pictures. One was a middle-aged guy. The other was a girl I graduated high school with. I explained the situation to them and apologized. Dude was completely furious because they were pictures of his newborn son, apparently before they even left the hospital. Oh, man. The girl just cried because they were the pictures of the last trip that she had with her friend that had had taken just before she died several weeks before. Oh, man. That's terrible. That's terrible. Um... Tom, you ever screw up as a bar back? Oh, a million times. A million times. Because I've bar back. I've never really been a bartender. Only only ever a bar back. Yeah. And it's mainly because of, a little bit because of my size. They're like, this guy can lift heavy stuff. Right. And, you know, can just do things. And I always have kind of a can-do attitude when it comes to that sort of work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one time I was actually asked to serve drinks was when I was a caterer. I worked at a catering company and there was some weird event going on. Is that like a furniture store that you could rent out? I, I What? You know, wealthy suburbanites are weird. I don't know. Uh, okay. It's, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. But there I was working one of the stations and uh, you know, they had drinks and everything like that, but they, we would make you know, like kitty cocktails for kids, like Shirley Temple or sure. something, you know, Sprite and Grenadine, whatever. Yeah. So this with a cherry. Yeah, with a cherry. Right. Can't forget the cherry. Kid comes up. He's like, hey, can I have a, you know, a Shirley Temple or whatever? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I made the cardinal sin that no bartender should make. Uh, I took the glass and I shoved it into the ice. Oh, no, you can't. You, you can't do that. No one had ever really explained it to me. And I'm an idiot. So did you break the glass? Not only did I break the glass, but on my because I, I did it with my left hand, and which is weird because I'm not left-handed, right? But you know, shoved it in there with my left hand. The glass shattered, and I can show you off the air. I've got a nice little perfectly shaped scar right on the t- top of my palm. The glass cut into my hand, and it did so in such a way that a nice big spurt of blood fires out of my hand just right out of my hand and i swear to god i could see it in slow motion this thing just traveling through the air like the matrix 
right onto this kid. Oh no! And it just I, I, you know, it was just a cut on my hand. It couldn't have been that much blood, but to me, it it was like Carrie. Yeah, exactly. It was just, and it splashes onto this kid, oh. and it left a noticeable stain on him, and he freaked I can, out. I can imagine. And I was bleeding like crazy. You would think I was a hemophiliac. I was just gushing blood out of my hand. And, and all that ice had to be thrown all out. All the ice. Yeah, the yeah, bin had to be sterilized. Do the whole yep. thing. <laughs> and the thing was is that they were like, all right, well, we need you can't you can't leave. You know, we need you. So we got to keep working. I was like, all right, fine. But I couldn't stop bleeding. <laughs> they just they had me like they bandaged me up. I, it was like a war wound. It was like a war wound. Bandaged me up. They put a glove on my hand. And they had me walking around with the trays and everything like that, just serving and everything, and not not really touching the food. They would just put it on the tray. I'd take it around to people. Right. Uh, the second problem came when I started to feel a little lightheaded uh-huh. because I couldn't stop bleeding. Yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. So my blood pressure must have dropped like yep. like you know a bird shot out of the sky, and. The last thing I remember was I turned to my manager who's standing there, and I have a, an entire oh. serving tray full of hors d'oeuvres. And I just said, hey, I don't feel super good. Yeah. Can I go home? And then immediately collapsed. I am six foot four and 250 pounds. Yeah. That is not. That is, that is like Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah, yeah. Thank God I wasn't near any sort of other. You know, furniture or whatever, expensive stuff. So the kids think I'm dead. They're freaking out because my hand is still, again, actively bleeding. Yeah. So I'm laying on the ground in a pool of my own blood as kids, like, are just tweaking out. The guy's dead. Yeah. There's a dead man on the floor. The trauma cannot even begin to be sorted out in therapy this week. That's good. That's four sessions minimum. Yeah. So, uh, long story short, I got out of catering real quick. <laughs> so did they take you to the hospital? Uh, they did. They did take me to How the hospital. How many stitches? Uh, I don't really remember. Not many, really. I, I'll show you the scar. It's a really small scar, but it must have just hit something. Yeah. I, I was I was a gusher. Yeah. It was it was completely insane. It was completely insane. But yeah, they uh, the people that I work with, I actually still keep up with some of them. They were just like, "Yeah, you were lying there in a pool of your own blood. We thought you were dying. That's- we thought you were actively bleeding out on the ground." And really, <laughs> they said uh, the kids were freaking out, but the parents were mostly like, "Oh, come on, really? Like oh, another dead caterer? This happens every week. Yeah, every time we have don't, this don't event. inconvenience the rich people. Yeah." <laughs> like, with your death. Do you guys have another one in the car? You know, just kind of toss him around the side of the road. Someone will take care of it. Oh. So, I, I you know, my, my time in food service has been interesting, to say the least. Yeah. At so, least here, I don't have to worry about it, I don't think. No. You, you can't, you know, you can't slap your, uh, you can't, you can't slap your boss here with a slice of cheese. Like you did at, uh, at che- che- Cheese Village. At the Cheese Village. Yeah. I mean, I could. It would just take a little bit of extra effort. Yes, it would. It would confuse a lot of people. Yes, it would. Like that's a very specific thing, not related <laughs> to anything that goes on here. Um, about I used to work for the purchasing department at my school as a summer job. It's preschool through twelfth grade, and we had to handle all the orders that came in: art supplies, new textbooks, etc. 
so the teachers would have their stuff for the new school year. So it's my first summer working at the school, and one day we get this delivery. It's a bunch of heavy-as-hell white buckets. It turns out uh, they are the dissection specimens for the biology students. My mistake, stacking the buckets three high on a dolly. Oh, no. One of the buckets fell over and landed on the top corner where the seal was. The seal broke, and a bunch of formaldehyde and fetal pigs were released onto the carpeted floor, thereby releasing a terrible odor. It took three hours for the custodians to clean it all up, and we had to order another bucket of pigs. I remember I we in, in high school we dissected a we dissected a uh, fetal pig. Really? Yeah, and yeah. it stunk. Yeah, that formaldehyde that'll just. We used to have to keep it in. There was in the, in the biology classroom. We would uh, keep it in a refrigerator when you were done. You had to keep it in the refrigerator. Um, and we we had to name our pig. What'd you call yours? Kim. <laughs> I figured something like, I don't know, Hamlet? No, Kim. I was I had a crush on a girl named Kim, so I named uh, her Kim. So you named a fetal pig that you Kim. sliced open yeah. and uh, disemboweled. Yeah. Named like, Kim. Hey, Kim. Um, I just want you to know, I... Uh, I named the fetal pig after you that I just cut open. Yeah, do you want to go to the movies sometime? I'm seeing Phantasm again for the yeah, 400th for time. The, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you see Phantasm and show you your, your your fetal pig that was named after you. So, All right, well, there are some uh, crazy workplace blunders. And, uh, Tom, I'm glad you didn't bleed out. <laughs> I think they are, too. Okay. All right, uh, well, we got the news coming up. Hello, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. As we are every weekday uh, uh, morning uh, from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Coming up uh, at 3.30, another round of Know Your Onion. It's Wednesday morning, and uh, Tom will quiz you. We'll take the first two callers. They'll be our contestant. Each uh, contestant will play around, and uh, Tom will throw some news headlines at you, and you have to decide whether they're real or from the satirical comedy newspaper, The Onion. And if you get the majority correct, hey, you win. Come on now. So, um, do, Tom, do we know where the the origin of Yacht Rock, where that came from? The term Yacht Rock? Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question. I do not know personally. I know what it is. Yeah. I know roughly what time, like, what time period it started. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, Let's see here. Um, yeah, by the way, if, if you have a favorite Yacht Rock song, and uh, we'll, we'll explain to you what Yacht Rock is and give you some examples, because I have some of the greatest Yacht Rock songs of all time, and we'll listen to just a little bit of them. Um, here's, here's by way of introduction. We can picture it now, lounging on a swish boat as it bobs along the water, sipping cocktails and improving your tan. Oh, it's the 80s. There's only one style of music that goes with this image, and that's Yacht Rock. What is Yacht Rock, you ask? Also known as the West Coast Sound or Adult-Oriented Rock. It's a style of soft rock from between the late 70s to the early 80s that featured elements of smooth soul, smooth jazz, R&B, funk, rock, and disco. Although its name has been used in a negative way, uh, to us, it's an amazing genre that makes us feel like we're in an episode of Miami Vice wearing shoulder pads and massive sunglasses. 
So do we have a, an origin story for the term yacht rock? Yes, and I think it will surprise you. I think it really will surprise you. Uh-huh. The name yacht rock was not coined until 2005. Oh, really? Yes, the name. So it was just AOR at that point. Yeah, um, until Albemore, the until adult the oriented rock. Yeah, uh, that but specifically, I like that West Coast sound. That's kind of like yeah. That's real. That really it's, captures most of what the yacht rock like. is West Coast. There's no right. question about it. But it was coined in 2005 by the makers of an online video series called Yacht Rock, which is derived from its association with the popular Southern Californian leisure activity of sailing. So. It just came from a company called Yacht Rock. No, it came from a video series a called video series. Yeah, called Yacht Rock. That is a uh, it's a mockumentary. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a mockumentary kind of documenting the uh, the origins, origins of, of, of the of, songs. Yeah, I so. think I remember that. Right, I think I remember that. Um, it was on Channel One Hundred and One, uh, which was created by Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon of Community? Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we have some of the best yacht rock songs of all time. Would you if you have a if you have a favorite yacht rock song, you can call us on the Team Hawkberg phone line at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Let's start with this one. Hall and Oates, which we just uh, came back from a break with that. Uh, they choose, I can't go for that, no can do. Here's what they say. This duo knew how to make catchy hit after hit. This R&B-tinged pop tune was co-written with Sarah Allen, who was also the influence for their song, Sarah Smile. Um, John Oates has said that the song is actually about the music business. That song is really about not being pushed around by big labels, managers, and agents and being told what to do, but being true to yourself creatively. Not only was the song sampled... In De La Soul's Say No Go, Simply Red's Home, but Michael Jackson admitted that he lifted the bass line for it for Billy Jean. So Michael Jackson ripped off the bass line from I Can't Go For That No Can Do. So that that does, I guess that falls under the category of Yacht Rock, right? Yeah, it's that, that soft sound, yeah. that kind of softer pop sound. Even though Hall & Oates, they, they'd get, they, they had a little bit of edge to them at times. Yeah, well, I love Hall Notes. Sure, I I love them. I think they're great. I think Daryl Hall's got one of the best voices in music, one mm. of the most soulful voices. Uh-huh. And he did that series uh, live from Daryl's house. Still doing it. Still doing it. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> there's an episode of him and Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Oh, you gotta love the speaking of yacht rock. Yeah, Loggins and Messina. Come on. Yeah. Where's Messina? I don't, I don't know. We know Loggins is now, you know, part of every movie soundtrack history. Is it Kenny Loggins has a has a song on every movie soundtrack, doesn't he? Is it you? Don't you? you every you, single you, one. You legally have to have a Kenny Loggins song on your soundtrack if you're releasing one from a movie. Yeah, I mean, who could forget his uh, his themed Schindler's List? Oh God! 
Kenny Loggins. All right. How about Foreigner? Foreigner? Waiting for a girl like you. That's the next one that they have as part of this. uh... So. I remember when that song came out, I was dating that girl who was like 22 and had a kid, and I was 16. It was a healthy relationship, but we dated for a long time. Um, she used to say, I would really love someone to to sing a song like that about me. You know, the guy's been waiting his whole life for a girl like you. A bit more of a smooth sound than the bigger power ballads. This song had the misfortune of staying at number two for ten weeks in the U.S., um, nine of which was behind Oliva Newton-John's physical. Co-writer Mick Jones said of the song, I had no idea what it meant, but it left such a deep impression on me. It ended up being a song that brought a lot of people together. I hear these days that it's a song that a lot of people play at their weddings. (laughs) Weddings on yachts. Exactly. All right. Uh, more Yacht Rock. Do you have a favorite example of Yacht Rock? 312-981-7200. It's Nick DiGilio and uh, WGN. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday morning from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, we'll head over to uh, the TV side of WGN at 4 o'clock for some uh, early morning news, and then at 5 o'clock it's the great Bob Surratt for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number for the Team Hockberg phone line. And we're talking Yacht Rock. <laughs> and some of the best examples of Yacht Rock. And if you have a, a, you know, a favorite Yacht Rock tune, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, phone lines are open. 312-981-7200. Here's Jeff on WGN. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? All right. I got a good one. Okay. Yeah. How about Christopher Cross sailing? Yeah, that's a that's a legendary one. We'll get to that one in a little bit. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's a legendary one. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, that's a perfect example of yacht rock. It's even literally about sailing. It's about sailing. Yeah. Sailing takes me away. God, I, every time I hear that song, I think of Roy Leonard because he hated it so much. I remember he hated that song. This might be a weird question, but what kind of music did Roy like? Everything, everything. Well, except for Christmas except Cross. for except for sailing. No, no, no. He had he would he loved all kinds of music. Okay, yeah. Jazz, well, jazz just, might have been his favorite, but right. but he, he was you know he loved everything. You know, I was I I, I was never lucky enough to know the man. Oh, uh, you know, but uh, he yeah. I've, I've watched some old interviews with him and listened to some. Of, he seems like a jazz guy. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, he's, he sits. He sits in a leather chair, and he's gonna, he's going to put on a little like Art Blakely or something like that. Yeah, something re- you know. Yeah, really well, he was he was open to everything. That's what made him so good. Yeah, no, he was the best. Um, how about the with Eagles with I can't tell you why. Featured uh, during the end credits of one of my favorite movies ever made. Really, Shoot the Moon. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Best movie ever made about divorce. Yeah. Albert Finney, the late, great Albert. Boy, when he died, that hurt. Albert Finney, Diane Keaton, Karen Allen, Peter Weller. One of my favorite movies ever made. And they play I Can't Tell You Why during the end credits. Do we have a little of that? Well, the Eagles are a little stingy with uh, putting oh, their music online. So, right. <laughs> Unfortunately Ma- not. Many Eagles, Eagles tunes could be classed as yacht rock, but we reckon their finest example comes from this track from their long run album in 1979. Don Henley described the song as straight Al Green. That's high praise for yourself. And that Glenn Fry, an R&B fan, was responsible for the R&B feel of the song. Fry said to co-writer Timothy B. Schmidt, you could sing like Smokey Robinson. Let's not, let's not do a Richie Foray Poco-sounding song. Let's do an R&B song. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Eagles, as you know. In fact, I can't stand them. But I don't hate that song, and it's because of Shoot the Moon. Because it's featured at the end of one of my favorite movies of all time. So, yeah, but that would be qualified as Yacht. There's no question that that would qualify as Yacht Rock. Okay, come on now. Michael McDonald. Sweet freedom. <laughs> Always searching for the real thing. Living like it's far away. Just leave all the madness yesterday. Michael McDonald, man. And I, I wish you could see this music video right now. One, oh. it's set to the to scenes from Running Scared, because this is it's, in Running it's, Scared. It's in the movie Running Scared, yeah. Oh, uh, I, I've, it's, it doesn't Billy Crystal, or one of them's wearing a half shirt? Something like that. Yeah. But uh, Michael McDonald himself is wearing the ultimate Yacht Rock uniform, which is long hair. Yeah. Like kind of a mullet, really. Yeah. Beard. Yeah. Hawaiian. Light wash jeans. Wow, that is well. The if I'm if I'm look. not mistaken, the video takes place like in a tropical area because he well he's like he's like playing in a he's like playing in a a like a bar at kind of like near a dock. You know how there's there's like bars. an outdoor bar. Yeah, like an outdoor yeah. bar. You know the there's clearly a dock with a bunch of boats nearby. Yeah. So I I mean it's that's a deep deep uh, yacht rock. Shine sweet freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to name the king of Yacht Rock, you'd have to pick Michael McDonald. He could sing the phone book and it would sound silky smooth. He looks weird without a beard. You ever see him without a beard? No, thank God. He, it, well, I mean, that happens a lot. If you know somebody who has, you know, like a, who's had facial hair for a very long time and then they suddenly shave it, it's like, whoa, whoa. You know, you know. Yeah, it's kind of scary. But Michael McDonald's he's kind of known for his beard. Because uh, it's a magnificent beard. Yeah. Let's be 100% honest He's known here. for his voice and his beard. Oh, thanks, man. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> yeah. SETV. Uh, this is possibly his greatest solo tune. It was used in the movie Running Scared, and the music video featured actors Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. Running Scared. For some reason, the video is like all tropical and stuff. The movie takes place here. 
<laughs> so, yeah, man. Yeah, Michael McDonald's got to be the king of Yacht Rock. I would have to agree with that. All right. Toto Rosanna. Oh, this is Yacht Rock. Um, yeah, Rosanna. Now, you know who this is written about, right? Rosanna Arquette. That's correct. And I think is honestly their best song. Rosanna? Yeah. Wow. Well, do we have a little of that? You know, you, unless you were there, you would not believe how big this song was and how big Toto 4 was, that album, Toto 4. That's another one of those albums from the uh, from the early 80s that everybody had. Everybody on the planet had a copy of Toto 4. Well, I mean, you got Africa on there. It's a classic. You got Rosanna. And I got to say about Rosanna, you you're, you play the drums. I do. That has to be one of the most fun drum beats of all time. I mean, it's well, it's the, a Bernard Purdy shuffle. It's just it's yeah. a shuffle. The thing, the but thing, it's just done the, so well. The thing about Toto is that they were all incredibly talented studio musicians who were session players. And if you go back and you look at the members of, of you know, look at the, the the names of the members of Toto, and then go back and look at a ton of records by other artists. They're they're, they're on popping there. up on the credits. Yeah, I I love that drum beat. Yeah, it's it's an amazing shuffle. Ri- you know, super simple but hard to do, hard to do correctly. Yeah, and that's what makes it so much fun. And plus, it's about Roseanne Arquette. Come on. Well, wait a second. Uh oh, I'm about to to debunk something here, according to this article. According to this article, uh, by the way, they say we almost picked Africa, but we reckon this tune uh, just about pipes it up in the Yacht Rock. Here's what they say about this. Now, for all these years, um, for all these years, I thought it was about Rosanna Arquette, who was dating Steve Porcaro, who was uh, the keyboard player in Toto. At the time. But here's what it says. Written by David Page, he has said the song is based on numerous girls that he's known. As a joke, the band members initially played along with the common assumption that the song was based on actress Rosanna Arquette, who was dating Toto player Steve Percoro at the time and coincidentally had the same name. So it's not about Rosanna Arquette. I'm I'm going to say they can say that, and that can be the official answer. That can be the official answer. I'm going to say it's about Rosanna Arquette. I mean, come on. They were dating at the, at the same time. Yeah. Right? Well, it wasn't written by Steve Picoro. Written no, by that's fair. Written by David Page. But, Crap. Um, yeah. Jeez, that's, I, that, this is, this is how, how long ago did that song come out? 30 years ago or something? So for by all those, now, at, at yeah. 80, 80, what was it, 82, maybe? Rosanna? 
Yeah. So um, since 1982, I've thought that that song was about Rosanna Arquette. I'm still going to believe that. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we've lost all of our credibility. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, thanks, everybody. Nice knowing you. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get back to the Yacht Rock, and, and we would love to hear from you celebrating all things that are Yacht Rock related. If you have a favorite Yacht Rock song, we would love to hear from you. Uh, 312-981-7200. But uh, every Wednesday morning at 3.30, we play a little round of Know Your Onion. So the first two callers right now, the phone lines are wide open. Uh, the Team Hawkbird phone line, wide open. First two people through it, 312-981-7200, will be our contestants for Know Your Onion. 312-981-7200, call right now, and the first two people through will be our contestants. 312-981-7200. Know Your Onion, Tom's your host. He's going to read you uh, some news headlines, and you have to uh, guess as to whether they are real or from the satirical newspaper. They're fake from The Onion. Uh... 312-981-7200. First two people through will be our contestants, and we'll do it after this. You're, you're, you're coming back with some major yacht rock here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> minute by minute. Yeah. Uh, hello, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. We're going to get back to our conversation and talking about yacht rock and listening to a little uh, bit of the examples of, of yacht rock, which is a fun music genre. Um, but every Wednesday morning at 3.30, we play a round of Know Your Onion, and this is a uh, a game that uh, Tom came up with, uh, where um, we have two contestants, they each play a round, uh, each, and uh, Tom will read a newspaper uh, headline, and you have to uh, guess whether it is real or from The Onion, which is a fake and uh, comedy uh, 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 um, newspaper. So, are, are we ready to uh, to get this started? It's time to know your onion. Yeah, there All it right. is. Yeah. All right, we know the. Uh, we know we got our two players. We ready to start? Let's do this. All right, here's Steve on WGN. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nick. Hey, you familiar with the onion? Yeah. Yep. Oh, all right. So you know the rules. All you got to do is guess whether the newspaper headlines that he's reading to you are real or from The Onion. All right, Tom? Okay, got it. Tom, you ready? Let's do this. All right. <laughs> all right, Steve. Your first headline. Texas deputy charged for slapping man after telling man to slap him first. Is that real or is that The Onion? That's real. Let's see. There. That's real? Yeah, it's 100% real, man. Why was he asking them to slap him? Let's see. Let's take a look here. Uh, Texas sheriff's deputy has been indicted by a grand jury for slapping a 61-year-old man who had attempted to slap him first. The only problem is Harris County Sheriff's Deputy Ellis, Ellison Collins told the man to slap him, acting as if he would not arrest him, and the man was naive enough to believe him. I'm giving you permission to slap the crap out of me and get it off your chest, the deputy said, after the man asked if he would be arrested. When Jerry Allen Vaco raised his hand and moved it close to the deputy's face, Collins slapped him so hard he fell down, and Collins then handcuffed him. Wow. So, 
That's real, then. Yeah. All it's, right. It is rare for a police officer to say, go ahead, slap uh, the crap out of me. Slap the crap out of me. Might be a trick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, you're one for one. Very good. All okay. right. Your next headline, Steve. Study finds gap widening between rich pets and poor Americans. Is that real or is that the onion? That's that's real. Let's see. No. no, no, no. That is the onion. That's definitely the onion. Yes. Definitely. All right. One and one, Steve. You know, here we go. All right. Your next headline. Democratic leaders announced they've learned the words systemic racism. Is that real or is that the onion? That's the onion. Let's see. Excellent! Very good, Steve. Nice very, good. very good. All right. One more correct, and you're a winner, Steve. Good job. Okay. All right. Your next headline MLS commissioner relieved that nobody knows him by name. Is that real or is that the onion? I don't know soccer, so I guess uh, real. Let's see. No, that is the onion. <laughs> there he is. I had to. Here. I had to keep myself uh, quiet on yeah. that because I was I, as soon as I heard the. Uh, the to thing, be fair, I, I, I have no idea what his name is. And you're a soccer fan. I do like soccer. I just don't like the MLS. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay, Steve. Don't get another one wrong. Oh, I got it. All right, your next headline, Steve. The Bold and the Beautiful will be using blow-up dolls to film sex That's scenes. Real. Oh, let's see. <laughs> you heard He's, that one already, yeah, huh, Steve? He, oh. yeah. he is right. watching the news. There you go. Okay, so that's, uh, he needs one more, correct? Uh, let's see here. No, that was five. Oh, oh so, so got you three. got three. Oh. Yeah, you got three out of five. All right, so Steve, congratulations, oh, buddy. Cool. Woo. Yeah, you're a winner. Uh, we're going to give you a $75 gift certificate to... From Green Tea Home Services, uh, while you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of Green Tea's carpet cleaning service, air duct purification, or garage door maintenance. You can call 805-GREEN-TEA, or you can go to greenteaservices.com. Hold the line, Steve, okay? All right. Thanks. All right. Hold on. All right. Uh, uh, that was pretty good. Got a winner here our first time out. Okay, are we ready for our second contestant? Let's do this. Okay. Here's Dave on WGN. Hey, Dave. Hey, morning. Morning. Are you familiar with The Onion? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. You just have to guess whether these uh, news uh, headlines are real or are from The Onion. Okay. Go ahead, uh, Tom. (laughs) All right, Dave. Your first headline here. Humans try to take back Thai City from monkeys. Is that real or is that The Onion? Uh, It's crazy enough to be real. We'll call it real. Let's see. Woo! There you go. That is real. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that story. (laughs) Let me give you a little background here. Residents barricaded indoors, rival gang fights, and no-go zones for humans. Welcome to Laburi, the ancient Thai city overrun by monkeys supercharged on junk food whose population is growing out of control. Their growing numbers doubling in three years to six thousand oh my god have made an uneasy wow. coexistence with their human peers almost intolerable some areas of the city have simply been surrendered to the monkeys that's insane yeah what? that's insane wow. so, all right well you're one for one uh dave cool okay all right your next headline dave scottish man fined for calling an irishman a leprechaun is that real or is oh, that that's the true end? okay let's that's see true. 
Wow, quick off the What's draw. The, did you know that one, Dave? Did you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I heard that one just a couple days ago. Okay, Very good. What, what's, uh, what's the story behind that? So Terry Myers, 41, appeared in Aberdeen Sheriff Court after he sent his ex-partner an email in which he made reference to the woman's new partner being Irish. Uh, Love said that Myers referred to the new partner as a leprechaun in the email. She said that the woman's new partner found the term offensive since he was born in Dublin. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty funny. Uh, All right, Dave, you're two for you're two for two, buddy. One more, and you're a winner. Cool. All right, uh, let's go to your next headline. Smelly durian fruit sends six to hospital and forces evacuation. Is that real or is that the onion? Oh, I'm gonna say onion. Let's see. No. That is real. That's real. Yeah. Twelve German postal workers received medical treatment, and dozens more were evacuated due to a pungent suspect package, which turned out to be a shipment of the notoriously smelly durian fruit. Police, firefighters, and emergency services were called to a post office in the Bavarian town of Schweinfurt on Saturday after staff noticed the smell coming from a package. Schweinfurt? Schweinfurt. Okay. Yeah, I don't get the Schweinfurt news. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave. You still just need you still just need one more. The Daily Schweinfurt. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Your next headline: Red Sox fan. Uh, sorry, pardon me. The Red Sox ask fans to switch from racial to homophobic slurs when taunting opposing players. Is that real or is that the Onion? Uh, I'll go Onion on this one. Let's see. <laughs> that is the Onion. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, uh, man. Hey, Dave, congratulations. Oh, You're a winner. Great. Cool. You got, thank you, got, you. You got yourself a $75 gift certificate for Green Tea Home Services. While you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of green tea carpet cleaning service, air duct purification, or garage door maintenance. You can call 805-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. Please hold the line, Dave. Thanks, Nick. All right. There you go, buddy. Two winners this morning on uh, Hold Your Onion. <laughs> know, your, know Your Onion. <laughs> All right. We'll do it again next uh, next when, Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have a couple more people out here to figure out uh, whether these uh, headlines are real or from The Onion. Okay. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're going to get back to our conversation about Yacht Rock and listen to a little bit more of uh, of the Yacht Rock. Um, and, uh, and we want to hear from you. Do you have a favorite Yacht Rock song? We have a, a bunch more here in this article that uh, that we're going to talk about. Like Bobby Goldsboro, Summer, the First Time. Uh, a bit of a questionable subject matter. This ballad is about a 17-year-old boy's first sexual experience with a 31-year-old woman at the beach. But using a repeating piano riff, a 12-string guitar, and an orchestral string arrangement, this song just screams yacht rock uh, and all that is great about it. Bobby Goldsboro, Summer, the First Time. All right, why don't we uh, break here? I got some weather. And then we'll come back and we'll get back into um, we'll get back into the uh, yacht, the world of yacht rock. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on seven twenty WGN. Wednesday morning, we're here till four o'clock. Every morning at four, we head over to our buddies and colleagues over in the TV side of WGN and get some early morning news from them. And then the great Bob Surratt starts at five for your morning drive. 
312-981-7200 is the phone number for the Team Hockberg phone line. And we are talking about Yacht Rock. <laughs> uh, here's Dan on WGN. Hey, Dan. Hey, good morning. How are you? All right. What's up? Well, I was going to say anything by Seals and Crofts. I was in uh, college 72 and Summer Breeze just... Yeah, just, I couldn't stand it. It was uh, it was everywhere too. It was oh, everywhere. It was terrible. Yeah, seals and cross. That summer breeze was huge. It was yes, a it huge, was. Huge song. Not for me. Okay. All right, Dan. Thanks. Hey, good morning. Bye bye. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely yacht rock. Seals and Croft. Yeah. Um. There's John on WGN. Hey, John. John. Hi, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Nick. Okay. Um, yeah, you uh, great band, but you can't have a yacht rock playlist without anything from Ambrosia. Oh yeah. Especially you're the big. You're, you're the biggest you're, part. You're, of me. you're the biggest part of me is classic yacht rock. Classic, and even their name is yacht rockish. You know, the name of the band is Ambrosia. So that right there, even if you don't hear the music, you go, well, that's got to be yacht rock. So. All right, John, thanks. Thanks. All right. Yeah, do you know you're the biggest part of me, Tom? I do. Yeah. And I think it is great. There it is. little ambrosia for you on a Wednesday morning. You headed out to the boat today, fellas? Yeah. This is a nice song to wake up to on a lovely Wednesday morning. (laughs) This is what I listen to when I ignore my wife and kids. You're Just the take, biggest part of me. Yeah, it takes me takes me to that special place where the uh, pina coladas are cold and my wife and kids aren't there. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, in the name of the band. The name of the band is Ambrosia. Ambrosia. I mean, that just screams yacht rock. Well, it's just it's fun to listen to, though. That's what I like about it. Oh, is I that like re- that song. I'm it's not a great I'm not, song. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that song, but it's definitely yacht rock. How about this? The Doobie Brothers. What a fool believes. What's what's going on there? Oh, okay. Here's what they say, possibly the ultimate Yacht Rock song. And again, it's got that man, Michael McDonald. He's just got that special touch. Written by McDonald and Kenny Loggins. Of course it was written by the two of those guys. This is one of the few non-disco hits in America in the first eight months of 1979. The song tells the story of a man who is reunited with an old love interest and attempts to rekindle a romantic relationship with her before discovering that no one really that no one ever never really existed. Michael uh, Jackson once claimed he contributed at least one backing track to the song recording but was not credited uh, for having done so but this was later denied by the band. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, why would he claim that though? Yeah, that is an odd one. I mean, you're the king of pop, why would you need to claim anything? Yeah, well, but this would be this would be pre-thriller, 
So yeah, that's true. Yeah, so so it was not quite. But he, I mean, he was Jackson Five. No, I know. I mean, he was still Michael Jackson. But I mean, when when Thriller came out, it all went. I I mean, it just went. That's what cemented him. Yeah, that is what cemented him. How about Boz Skaggs' Lowdown? (laughs) I love that song. (laughs) We've moved slightly into smooth jazz territory with this track, which is guaranteed to put a smile on your face. The song was written by uh, co-written by David Page who would go on to form Toto along with the song's keyboardist, David Page, session drummer, uh, David Hungate, and uh, drummer, Jeff Picaro. She must believe it's all hell to say. Hey, boy, better bring the check around. To the sad, sad truth, the dirty lord down. Yeah. I love that song, man. Boz Skaggs. We are we are getting some people asking again for the definition of yacht rock. So if you if you it's please, it's kind of like soft. It it kind of falls under the category of soft rock. That's very very smooth. Um, it's got a very specific sound. It's it's usually pretty laid back, and uh, and just real smooth, man. And you listen to it while you're sipping cocktails on your yacht. Yeah. How about Steely Dan FM? Steely Dan, one of my favorite bands of all time, but they're certainly yacht rockish. Wouldn't you agree, Tom? At times, yeah. At times. But they're one of my favorite bands. This is FM. Yeah, a little FM. Terrible movie, great song. Actually, great soundtrack. The whole soundtrack to the movie FM Isn't is great. Isn't Linda Ronstadt in that movie? Lots of people are in it, yeah. but it's a terrible movie. It really, but It's a fantastic soundtrack, and the title track here by Steely Dan is great. Such a good song. Man, I love I love the Dan. I love the Dan so much. Such a divisive group, though. You know what I mean? Because I don't know anybody who just goes, Steely Dan, they're okay. You either love Steely Dan or you hate them. I love them. Glenn is on WGN. Go ahead, Glenn. Hey, Nick, if you love Steely Dan, you are amazing. Uh, but you can't mention Steely Dan without mentioning their, one of their top hits, Dirty Work. Yeah, Dirty Work's a great song. I mean, they have so many great songs. I mean, there's a a ton of great music coming out of that band. So good. All right, Glenn, thanks. All right, thanks, Nick. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. Uh, How about Don Henley, The Boys of Summer? Mike Campbell wrote the music to this track while working on Tom Petty's Southern Accents album, but later gave it to Eagles singer Don Henley, who wrote the lyrics. The song is about the pathing of youth and entering middle age and a past relationship. It was covered twice in the early 2000s as a trance track by DJ Sammy in 2002 and a pop punk hit by the Ataris in 2003. Boys of Summer. Another great song. 
Um, how about Chicago? Hard to say. I'm sorry. This song came up before, didn't we talk about this song? Yeah, isn't this you, this was your song, right? For, for the girl that was 22 when I was oh, six, and I was 16. <laughs> Hold me now, hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, the memories come flooding back. Oh, Peter Cetera. Yeah. How about Player, Baby Come Back? A classic. Yeah. Absolute classic. That is a classic. Baby Come Back by Player. Kenny Loggins, Heart to Heart. Oh, that is one of the most yachty, rocky songs of all time. And again, it's Kenny Loggins. See, this is like the definition of Yacht Rock, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Very smooth, very kind of easygoing. Listen to it on your yacht. As you cruise. Such a good song, though. Um, Airplay, nothing you can do about it. Um, Michael Jackson, Human Nature. That's uh, my favorite song, by far my favorite song off of Thriller, is Human Nature. Would uh, Billy Ocean fall into this? Well, it depends like, on the song. Like Caribbean we, Queen. Car- yeah. Caribbean Queen. He's yeah, even kind of doing a little bit of a Michael McDonald. I guess that I guess that would, yeah. And uh, as mentioned here, you can't talk about Yacht Rock without Christopher Cross's Sailing, which um, is, is, I believe, the ultimate Yacht Rock song. God, did Roy hate this song? <laughs> uh, I think it's going in this. Oh, vid- I love this song. In but- this video, he's wearing like a f- he's he's playing this song and he's wearing like a football jersey. <laughs> this is a great song. I don't I don't care. God, Roy Leonard hated it though. He hated it so much because that came out in 1980, and I didn't know Roy at that time. I listened to him every every Saturday. And I called in a lot, but I wasn't a part of his show until a few years later. But he would play like what, you know, he would play like some of the, you know, like what was the top five that week, the top five songs, and he would play like a little bit of it. And every time, and, and Sailing was like number one for for weeks on end. And Roy was just dumbfounded by it. And then they pick uh, last here, but not least, Steve Winwood's Valerie. <laughs> so... Oh, Yacht Rock. All right. Uh, We got the uh, news uh, coming up over from Bradley Place after uh, 4 o'clock, and that's coming up next.